0: about five or six more years, until they sold out to the Skyship Corporation. When they sold out in '95 to the SkyShift Corporation, Skyship didn't believe in engineering. And so it's obvious when I moved over there, I, I realized they didn't because their facilities and their operations were in terrible shape. And I don't even mind that being on videotape because it's a fact. But anyway... Whenever I heard that they took us to Washington and one of the VPs came up there and he says, well, we're not going to have an engineering division, so all you engineers, we don't need y'all no more. Y'all can find you a job and this will be the last day you'll have a job and after that we won't need you. Well, now, did I panic? No. I know the Word of God. So I come home and... I stand up on top of the building over there that I used to be over, one of them, and I stood up and looked across the street at those big skyshift facilities that they've got there at DFW, and I said, Lord, I'm tired of traveling. I've traveled for 30 years. You told me clearly in Mark 11:23 that I can have anything I say with my mouth if I can believe it with no doubt. Did He not say that? He did in Mark 11:23. So I said, Lord, I don't know who the man is that's over maintenance over there, but I need kind of an easy job to settle down for the last few years of my life till I retire. So that would be pretty good for me. I could stay at home and I could take care of those two big facilities there, and I'm going to be in charge of their maintenance here. That's what I'm going to do. So I ask you to displace this man that's here. Give him a promotion. I don't even know who he is. I never met him. But I said, I asked you to give him a promotion and moving somewhere and open that job up for me because in September I'm going to be out of a job here and I need him to be moved out just exactly right for me to move in there when this job terminates. I'll have absolutely not a, not a missed day of work. I said, thank you, Lord. You said I can have anything I say with my mouth if I don't doubt. I said, it's done. Now, see, that's, that's the way you get things done. So then, as I walked through my place of business, somebody said, Well, Thurman, I understand the engineering division is going to be closed uh, when, in September. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be the head maintenance manager over here for SkyShift. Well, they said, I-, I thought they already got him in. I said, they do, but the Lord's going to move him out. He's going to put me in there. See, I, mean, I mean, does this take faith to speak this? Sure. But that's what God said. If I believe it with no doubt in my heart... I will have whatsoever I say. Now, am I asking that man to be put out of a job? No, I'm asking him to be given a promotion and sent somewhere else. So, when I asked that, it was about six months before my job was going to be ended. When I asked that, almost immediately after that, the Lord moved upon this man's wife, which was a work for American Airlines, and gave her a promotion and moved her to Miami, Florida. (coughs) Now, then, he is here and she's in Miami. Well, it comes down to the point one week before my job ends. And everybody said, well, Thurman, you've got a week left. I said, yeah, the Lord's going to open that door over there because I'm going to be the head man over there in maintenance. That's where I'm going to retire, right here. Well, everybody thinks you're crazy. So guess what happened? The man from Florida that was in charge of the sky shifts they decided all of a sudden to stop using outside contractors to do their truck and building maintenance. and and decided to open a maintenance facility within their own operation. And they called this guy that was in charge of maintenance at DFW Airport for Skyship and said, his name was Vinny, and said, Vinny, I would like to have a a maintenance manager down here to take care of this, and I know you very well, and I know you would do me a good job. How would you like to come to Miami and be my maintenance manager, and it would pay you X number of dollars, which was an increase, and he's going to get right down there in the same town where his wife has been already for six months. He said, I'd love it. I'll just give this uh, operation right here a week's notice and tell them I'm going to be down there. Well, I didn't know all these things were happening. But a week, within a week it's come, I thought, well, it's about time, Lord. My job's terminating next week. Next Friday's my last day here. So I'm just going to walk across the street over there and tell the VP and the director that uh, uh, I, need to, I, you know, I need to be their maintenance manager. So I walked over there and walked on and said, I need to talk to the VP here. He said, well, it's Pepe Pinto, and he's upstairs in the office. I go up there, and I meet him, and I said, you know, uh, I was the regional engineer for the Cater Air Corporation, and uh, they're going to close the engineering division, as you probably know. So I said, uh, I need a job, and I'd like to be your uh, city maintenance manager here for you. He said, boy, are you just exactly right on time. I said, what do you mean? He said, my manager has been here for 10 years, came up this morning and told me he's going to leave here next week and he's going to Florida. And I wondered what I was going to do and where I was going to find a man with the knowledge that could run these two facilities. Awesome. And I said, well, you got him right here.
1: <laughs> in
0: fact, the VP, other VP came in and he says, now, this is, these two here are two of our largest facilities. We do a hundred million in sales out of these two facilities. And we got 140 trucks and we have a budget here of, of about $2 million a year in our utilities, another $2 million in cost of parts and things like this, and there will be about 35 or 40 guys under you. Do, do you think you can handle a job like that? I said, no, sir, I don't think I can handle a job like that. I said, after handling a region that's half of the United States with 40, bil- 40 buildings and about 2,000 trucks, I wondered what I'm going to do in my spare time. <laughs> I said, this is going to be a piece of cake for me. I mean what kind what kind of, what kind of faith do you have to have in yourself if you're a son or a daughter of the king of the universe if you believe what the king says he told you if you can believe nothing shall be impossible with you but you see what's wrong with us we go through life not believing the lord we believe what the devil tells us and he'll tell you oh you're an old nobody you know you just a, you know you're just an old worthless sinner you can't do nothing if you believe that beast You'll let him beat up on you all of your life. But if you believe the king and you begin to seek him and do what he says, if you'll believe what he says, nothing shall be impossible with you. Now, how many people do you know that when they get, well, I've been over there five and a half years, so I was about 57 years old at that time. I'm 62 now. How many people do you know when they get in their 50s and somebody says, well, we're going to have to, uh, you know, move you out. Uh, We're going to close out your job. And the guy automatically says, oh, gosh, I'm too old. Nobody's going to want me. Mm -hmm. I can't do nothing. I'm just a, you know, what am I going to do? And the guy lets the devil beat up on him, and they go out and they totally live a defeated life. And all the time. Everything's available to you, isn't it, Dan? Everything's available. But that's how you make faith work. So Tommy asked me to tell that story to start off with before we get started on the teaching but now then, I'm gonna I'm gonna start on this teaching, and what I'm gonna to try to teach you today. Some of you, some of you here, since this is a healing school, some of you may be sick or have had a problem or have somebody that has been sick or whatever, and you may need a healing yourself, or you need to, may need to know how to make a healing work for somebody else or a loved one. Well, if you will listen to what I will tell you today, I will show you the best I can from the Word of God to confirm to you that God guarantees to heal you. I mean, it's a promise. I mean, you know, how many people do you see in a church, and how many places have I been in churches, whenever somebody, if they do pray for the sick, guess what they always say at the end of their prayer? If it be your will. If it be your will. I mean... (laughs) I get tickled. My little pastor's in his early 30s. Great man of God. Loves God with all his heart. Just a great young man. But went to Baptist seminary, you know, and they taught him. And he he thinks they taught him right because, you know, he believes what they taught him. But they didn't teach him what the Bible says about healing. And so he can take a scripture like James chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16. And James 5, 14, 15, and 16 says... Is any sick among you? Now, who is that? Is any sick among you? Let him or her call for the elders of the church, have them pray over them, and anoint them with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise you up. If your sickness is due to a sin, the Lord will forgive your sin. So, therefore, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. I mean, my goodness, if that was the only verse we had in the Bible about healing, we should be able to get any sick in the church healed, shouldn't we, Jeff? Seems like, Seems like we could. I mean, it says pray the prayer of faith. That's all that's required if that person come. I mean, uh, I, mean I don't know how to think about how many times I have done this and how many times... I have seen God do this. I've seen Him raise people up from the deathbed. I've used many other scriptures. I've seen the Lord do mighty things. But you know what we will do after we pray that prayer, supposedly in faith? You know what most of us will say? Let's say, for instance, Jeff's wife, let's say I had prayed for her, say she had something wrong with her, and she came to me, and I prayed for her healing, and since she says she's a Baptist... I don't know how much... uh, She's probably still got a whole bunch of Baptists in her just like I do. If I had prayed for her, if she had had enough faith to come and ask me to pray for her, and somebody walked out after, say, let's say, uh, uh, Arsha, after she walked out the door, Arsha asked her, said, Do you believe you're healed? And what do you think more than likely she would say? I hope so. There you go. That's nearly everybody. Nearly everybody will say that. I hope so. Well, let me tell you. If you say, I hope so, that means you don't know for sure, right? And if you don't know for sure, that's not faith. And so if you don't know for sure, and there was no faith in that, God says, without faith it's impossible to please me. And he said, that person need not think I'll do anything for you. And he said that very clearly in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And we're going to cover those scriptures in great detail before the day's over. But you've got to realize, the one thing you must know is that it is beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's promise to heal you. And I'm going to show you in His Word where He says that. I'm going to start with 3 John 2, which is a very well-known scripture to lots of people. Now, not the Baptist church, but lots of other churches, they know this verse. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things Now, think about what the Lord said, the Now, you do know that all Scripture... You you do know the Bible is not just a book written by men, right? Right. You do know the book is written, penned by men, but as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, right? So it is the inspired Word of the living God. Now then, when you take this book, I sat down across the table from two men the other day, and I was talking to them. They were getting near, near to retirement age, And I told him, I said, well, guys, whatever you do, you want to make sure you serve the living God. Read the Bible. One of them said, oh, well, that book, that's just an old book. Men wrote that book. I said, no. Yeah, men wrote that book, all right. But men wrote that book as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. See, most people, when you talk to most people, I don't know about in your workplace where you work, but if you stop and look, most people, I work in a place where there's a thousand employees. Would you please go out there and tell those folks to come right on in? I work in a building where there's approximately 1,000 employees, and I would say that probably two-thirds of those people are lost. Come in. Praise the Lord. At least two-thirds of them are lost. Yeah, you all come on in. We've got seats everywhere, Uh, just wherever you want to sit down. But anyway, you know the reason all those people are lost they're lost because we have not prayed for them, we have not bound the spirits over those people we don't know what kind of power we got to lead people to Christ I've made a spiritual warfare tape here, I brought a whole bunch of tapes with me today and as y'all at uh, the break, we'll take after a little while, you could welcome to both the video tapes here, I got audio tapes here and then in there in Tommy's kitchen I got several boxes of tapes and each box has different tapes in it one of the boxes in here got a spiritual warfare tape in it. That spiritual warfare tape will teach you, if you have someone that's lost, it will teach you how to do spiritual warfare, how to pull down the forces of darkness that are blinding the mind of that person, and how to get that person saved. Now, to give you an example of how that works, since I've learned how these things work, I've had, I'll tell this little story right quick, just to tell you how sometimes it works instantly. But just a few months ago, I had a little girl uh, by the name of Glory call me from Denver on the prayer lines. Uh, I pray on the Tentmaker prayer lines every Friday night, and this telephone ring, and this little girl said, she just laughed, and she said, you know, I was sitting out here in Denver watching your TV show, and I thought how much fun it would be just to call and tell you, I don't believe there is a God. Well now, What does most people say about that? You, know, you, know, it, it, you, you might think of all kinds of things, but if you know the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 3 and 4 says, If there's anybody lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the blessed gospel. Otherwise, they would hear and receive it and be saved. Now, can you imagine going up to somebody and say, You know, God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross to pay the complete price for your sins. He became your substitute so that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ so you can live a great and awesome life on this earth and have power over the devil and all these mighty blessings are yours to redeem you from the curse and then when you die at the end of your life you'll get to die and go to heaven and you'll get to live with the Lord forever and you'll get to walk in a place that's got pearls and jewels for foundations and the gates are one piece pearls and the streets are made out of solid gold. Now who would turn that down? Not nobody in a right mind, right? But I have people all the time that say, well I'm not interested. Now guess why they're not interested? <coughs> Same reason Laurie wasn't interested because the scripture tells you what the problem is and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 where it says that if any are lost, they're lost because of the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their minds to the blessed gospel. So, since Luke ten twenty says, Satan has to be subject to me in the name of Jesus, if you know those scriptures and you know all power has been given to you over the devil, then I've merely done this. Whenever she told me that, I said, Satan... I rebuke the demon of doubt and unbelief that's blinding the mind of Laurie. I command you to take your demons off of her. Now. I said, now then, Father, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit to convict her of sin and draw her into the kingdom of God. I said, Lord, thank you. I said, now, Laurie, honey, let me tell you about Jesus. And in the next five minutes, I got that little girl saved. And she confessed Jesus with her mouth over the telephone. I said, now, honey, you like one more thing? Let's ask the Father to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he said, if any wants the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask. I said, so I'm going to ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I said, because you want power to live this glorious life. And she said, yes, I want that." And when she asked that, she said, Woo, woo, I felt something just come all over me. I said, honey, yet, was the Holy Spirit. Woo! She said, "Praise the Lord!" Now, a few minutes before, she's called to say, "I don't believe there is a God." When you learn your authority as a son or a daughter of the King of the Universe, you'll have no problem kicking demons out of people and getting people saved. And it makes life fun. Are we going to be a master master? Sure, anytime. Yeah. Have we have we got an extra mic, Jim? Or this Mike? Can I hear it? hear. Okay, go ahead, sir.
2: You say,
0: I say, the, second the you're does the Holy Spirit come into you? Yes, you, you get you, you, okay. you get the Holy Spirit but you don't get the power of the Holy Spirit. See there's a second event called the fire or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I realize you and me have been in the Baptist church all of our lives and they don't teach this but today I'm going to teach that to you in great detail. I'm going to show you exactly how to do that. Yes, anybody gets saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. But it's like you open the door to your heart and he comes in and he just kind of quietly is there. But you don't get no power. There's another event which I'm going to clearly show you in the Word today. Yes, young lady. Now, is there any difference? Not really. If you just rebuke him, there's many times in the Scripture the Lord says, I rebuke you and the demon came out. Or command in the name of Jesus. Of course Jesus never commanded in his name. He just said, I command you to come out. But he told you and I that we had to do everything in his name, because Christ in you and me, the hope of glory, is where our power is that. So with Christ in us, the hope of glory, when we speak his words, the Father's words, in his name, the name of Jesus, and we do it by faith, the same things happen when we speak it as it did when Jesus spoke it. So you you have that kind of power i've had lots of preachers tell me you know that if you think you have that kind of power i mean you know they said if you think i'm going to believe that i said that's just like a young man the other day i won't call his name because i don't want uh i don't want it to be on tape but uh, a young man called me and he said uh, uh, i want to check you out and i said okay and he's a pastor of a bit i mean a, well one of the pastors of a big Baptist church in this area the Dallas fourth area and as we talked he said, Some of the scriptures you use and the way you interpret them, I disagree with them. I said, Well, son, how old are you? He said, Well, I'm 28. I said, How much education do you have? He said, I'm working on my PhD from the seminary. I said, Okay, have you ever seen a miracle? He said, No. I said, I'm a farmer and I'm an engineer and I've seen hundreds of miracles, so one of us must be interpreting the Word of God wrong and it must be you. I mean, I mean, how much? I mean, you know, if a guy gets to me and says healing... I mean, and I've had lots of people come to me and said, Thurman, in fact, about three years ago, I had a, a pastor and a Baptist deacon walk up to me in my own church one night and said, Thurman, you're carrying this healing business too far. You know you're going to be sick. And I said, I do not receive that curse in the name of Jesus. He said, I'm not, try- I'm not cursing you. I said, yes, you are. You're trying to, but I'm not going to receive it. I said, you don't understand what you're doing. But I said, when you speak to me and tell me I'm going to be sick, if I yield to that, a curse is going to come upon me and the devil's going to have a legal right to me and I'm going to be sick. Now, let me tell you guys and girls, almost 15 years ago, I learned that Jesus redeemed me from the curse and that he healed me on the cross and became my substitute, not only for sin, which I learned when I was an 11-year-old boy, but I didn't learn until about 14 or 15 years ago that Jesus became my substitute also for healing and for the curse and for all of those things. When I finally learned that, one night after hours and hours and hours of study, when I learned that the Lord had become my substitute and that He healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago, I literally asked the Lord a question. Now, I'd been studying the Word of God hours when I said, Lord, if all this is true... And it's all written in your word. How come I've been sick so many times since I accepted you as my Savior when I was 11 years old? And again, he spoke to me in an audible voice just as clear as a bell. He said, Son, you have not received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, All right, Lord, I see it. So I literally fell on my knees. I got all this scripture in me. And I fell on my knees and I said, Lord, I see it. I see now that you not only became my substitute for sin, but you became my my substitute for sickness, for disease, and to redeem me from the curse of the law. And so I don't have to be lost no more. I don't have to be sick no more. And I don't have to be poor no more. So I'm going to today receive you as all of those things by faith. Because I know all those scriptures, and I've got them in my heart. And I knelt there, and I received Jesus as my Savior, which I'd already done when I was 11, as my healer, as my deliverer, and as my provider for everything. And I thanked him for it. Now then, he says, the word is in you, it's in your mouth, and in your heart. So I got up, and the next morning I walked into my workplace, and I said, praise God. I said, I've learned a new revelation last night in the Word of God. I said, folks, you're looking at a man that ain't never going to be sick again. Now, I'm about 47 or 48 years old at that time. And they said, Thurman, what are you talking about? Everybody's going to be sick. I said, not me. Not me. Never again. I received Jesus. He became my substitute on the cross for sin. Now, how many of you know Jesus redeemed you from sin? I mean, does everybody know that? All right, then why do you still go out and sin once in a while? If He redeemed you from sin, do you still go out and sin? When you do, what is it? It's a choice. Every time you go to sin, is there something in your heart that says, My daughter, my son, don't do that. Am I telling you the truth? Sure I am. Because you all know there's something that warns us in advance, don't sin. But you've still got a choice. But if when the devil tempts you and you say no, no, I ain't going to do that, devil. Do you have to sin then? No. he walk right off and forget it, can't you? The devil comes to you and says, you know, you went down to the store today and you bought that stuff and you give that lady $20 and you bought uh, $8 worth of stuff and she made a mistake and she gave you back $16. Oh, yeah, but nobody will know. Just put that in my pocket. Just a tip. That's what people... Christians, that's what Christians do. And the devil's saying, uh huh. Lord, look at your little dumb daughter or son there. You see just what I just did to him or her. He says, "Do you know that you told him not to steal? You know I got legal right now to hurt them. I got legal. I'm gonna make the transmission fall out of their car before they get back where they're going. That's gonna cost them a thousand dollars because they kept it four dollars. And the transmission breaks on your car and it costs you a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars. And you think, Lord, why me? It was just out of warranty for two two months. Why couldn't you have let it done while it was in warranty? Well, I'm gonna tell you, you caused that problem." You caused that problem because you were not obedient to the Word of God. Now, then you had a choice to make. Whenever you looked at it and you got outside and you said, Wait a minute, that, that lady must have given me too much money. And you pulled the money out there and you thought, Hey, she gave me two, three, four dollars too much money. Now, what are you going to do? You got a choice to make, right? Are you going to go back in there and give that four dollars back? Well, let me tell you, you better. You better, if you want to walk before God and see His miracles. Come in, young lady, come in. Praise the Lord hi young lady praise the Lord come in make yourself at home but the thing about it is the thing that we fail to realize as Christians this walk is a walk that requires holiness I mean anybody ever read that God required you to be holy because he was holy you ever read that Jeff even as a Baptist we've read that haven't we but do we really know what that means yeah we really think we do, do don't we you know well he means exactly what He says. Now then, be holy because I am holy. So, if we'll do those things, then we'll begin to see these things work for us. And He says, Beloved, I wish above all things, there in Third John 2, listen to what He says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Do you think the Lord wants you, if He wishes above all things, that He wants you to prosper and be in health then what kind of financial condition do you think the Lord wants for His kids? He wants us to be prosperous. I mean, but Lord, don't you realize, I mean, I'm just an old unworthy sinner, you know, I mean, after all, I mean, Lord. I mean, I'm just a little nobody. I was raised up on the wrong side of town and all this other stuff. But when you become a king's kid, when you become a child of God, you step out of the devil's world. You're translated out of his kingdom into the kingdom of light. And your daddy, which is God, and your brother, which is Jesus, owns it all, and He'll give you whatever you ask Him for in faith. If
3: but, you don't take the experiencing God class and and take that bookline and sinker?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Even in the experiencing God classes. In fact, I tell this little story about experiencing God. I went to one of those. Uh, the Baptists, We're. We're. You know. We. This is. This has really been good for a lot of people. And so I thought, well, I'll go to one of those. You know, a lot of people saying, boy, this is a great class. You need to go to this. And I said, okay. So I went to one one Sunday night, and a, a, a young man was teaching the class, and I walked in, and I sat down. And uh, in a few minutes as we are going around, he said, now then, this particular module that we're doing here, well, I want each one of you all to tell us how you have experienced God this week. And so... I thought, oh man, this is going to be interesting. Oh, it's been a, about three years ago, I guess, something like that. And uh, so, anyway, this uh, first young lady, uh, you know, she told some little something, you know, and another young man said something about, you know, some things that how they fought they had experienced God that week, and and uh, he came under him. He said, "Well, how about you, Thurman?" I said, "Well, uh, I said last Sunday afternoon a Baptist, or last Sunday morning a Baptist preacher called me, and." Uh, I said, I went down to a house and met this guy down in Fort Worth, and this woman had been sick and afflicted, and uh, he said he thought the problem was spiritual, and he didn't know how to take care of it, so he wanted me to come down there and minister to this lady. So I said, I went down there. I said, when I walked into the house, never seen this family before in my life, I said, uh, I walked in, I met the man and, and the four children, the son-in-law, I mean, the brother-in-law, and the daughters, I mean, the, the lady's uh, sister, but she wasn't there. And I said... Uh, I said, where is Joanne? And they said, well, she's back there in the bedroom. And I said, well, go get her. So they went back there to try to get her. And in a few minutes they came out and said, she won't see you. I said, well, let's pray. And she will. And so we prayed. And after I prayed, well, I said, now go back there and get her. And so they went back there and got her. And as they got this girl and started coming out, her sister was on one arm and her husband was on the other arm. And she walked out, heavy black hair, hanging down on her face. As soon as she walked into the door, she said, I hate you. I hate you. I don't want you in my house. I mean, I'll hurt you. Get out of my house. How many of you know a normal Baptist deacon would have been offended and he'd have said, I I don't want to be in this lady's house. I'm going. But I ain't normal. And so I knew who I was talking to and it was the devil. It wasn't that precious little lady. And I knew that wasn't that little lady. That was the devil screaming at me. He hated me. I told him, I said, set her down right there in that chair. So I set that little lady down in that chair there and she had her head down. I knelt down before her. And I reached up to touch her black hair. And when I did, she slapped my hand. She said, don't you touch me. I mean, I'll hurt you. I said, no, young lady, what you need is Jesus. She said, no, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. I said, come out of her, you foul spirit of hell. You spirit of anger, I command you to come out. He said, I'm not coming out. I've got legal right to be here. I said, oh, you have, do you? I said, her husband's sitting right there beside her. I said, young man, you know anybody your wife hates? He said, that's easy. He said, it's her first husband. Said she married him and they had these first two boys when the second was born. Said he uh, ran off and left her carrying the bag and said she has hated him with a passion ever since. I said, that's the legal right. The devil's got to be there. I said, Joanne, you're going to have to forgive this man from your heart. I said, now, Satan, I command you to go down. Stop talking to me. And, Joanne, I need to talk to you. And so I said, Joanne, you're going to forgive this man from your heart. She said, I don't know whether I can or not. I said, of course you can. It's a matter of your will. It's an act of your will. I said, all you've got to do is repeat after me. I, Joanne, forgive so-and-so from my heart. Literally had to drag every syllable out of her because the devil was trying to hold her tongue. I said, I finally got that thing confessed. I said, now then. I said, now then that we've got that source of the sin confessed, I said, Satan, you have no longer legal right to be in this woman. I said, in the name of Jesus, you've heard her confess her sin with, your, with your, her own mouth. I said, so in the name of Jesus, I command that foul spirit of anger and hell to come out of her now and go to the pit. And I said, as soon as I did that, that devil left. She swung her head up. I said, now, honey, what you need is Jesus. She said, yes, yes, yes. And I led that little girl to the kingdom of God and got her saved. She jumped up and began to hug me and asked me to pray for all of her kids. I said, that's how I experienced God this week. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's the way I experience God on a regular basis. I mean, life is fun when you know who you are. When you've read the book and believe it, when you cast a demon out of somebody and speak the healing power of Jesus into them and they get saved, or you, you pray over people like little Brendy uh, last uh, Saturday afternoon a week ago. She had uh, all kinds of sinuses and uh, a neck pain, and I prayed for her and she was healed. Right there, and then I got an email this week from one of the ladies that was down there. It said Thurman, you got to tell you a praise report. It said my son, which came to your teaching, said he was about an hour late when he got there, and I thought about four hours, so he got three hours of it. He said he was so awestruck at what he had heard and the scriptures that you quoted. He said, I thought I knew a little bit about the Bible. He said, I thought I knew God. But he said, Whenever this man began to teach the Word of God, he said, I realized I didn't know who God was. He said, I, he said, she said, my son took a bunch of your tapes and he's been listening to them. And she said, Mother, I don't think anybody in my church in Tucson knows God and I'm not even sure that the pastor knows who He is. I mean, isn't it a shame that we don't know who God really is and what, he's, what He has done for us? But look at this first thing here. I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. What do you think God wants for you, young lady? Amen. You know that's what He wants for you. That's absolutely right. All right, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. I want you to look at this. You can either write these references down or or whatever. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, what kind of theology did this man have about healing? He knew God could heal him because he had heard about Jesus. He had heard about Jesus going all over the place. He had heard about Jesus healing. He had heard about Him opening blind eyes. He had heard about Him raising the dead. He had heard about Him doing all those things. But He's just like we are today. If He will, He can make me clean. Well, with that kind of theology, you won't never get healed. you got to know. So before this man could get healed, I want you to see what Jesus had to do to this man. Jesus had to change this man's theology before this man could have faith to be healed. See, guess who it is that makes the healing power of Jesus work in your life? It's you. It is your faith that causes the power of God to work in your life. It's not His faith. It's your faith that makes it work. So look what the Lord says in verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth His hand, touched Him, and said unto Him, I will. Now then, if you had heard that from the lips of the Master Himself, if you would asked Him a question, Lord, I know You're capable of healing me. I know that with you all things, but for me, would you do that for me? And he looked at this leper and said, I will. And if he looked at you and said, I'm willing, be clean. Then can you have faith now to know that it's his will to heal you? Sure. So this guy, as soon as Jesus said, I will, he changed his theology from Lord, if you are willing, to I know you are willing and therefore the man could have faith to be healed your faith is what releases the power of god your faith if you don't have it you can't get anything from god he is a faith god and only faith moves his hand now then in romans chapter 2 verse 11 i want you to see a scripture there in romans 2:11 it says for there is no respect of persons with god now, if there's no respect to persons with God, does that mean He'll do the same thing for you, young ladies, He'll do for me? But how's He going to do it for you? The same way He does it for me. If I come to the King without faith or without knowledge in His Word, guess what's going to happen when I pray? Nothing. That's right, Jeff. Nothing. I can't. I, I sent a lady, There's a lady who had cancer, and she. Oh, I prayed with her on the prayer lines here, it's been a year ago, and she, I told her, I said, ma'am, let me send you a few of my healing tapes and you listen to them. And I said, you, you can develop faith to be healed if you will listen to those tapes over and over. Well, about six weeks went by and she called me, or actually wrote me a letter. She said, I've listened to those tapes several times. She said, now, I am understanding, if, if I'm understanding you right, that you're telling me that without faith I cannot be healed. And she said, "I don't believe God would do me like that." And I, thought, I just thought to myself, "Well, ain't no use to me. I mean, ain't no use of me calling her back and talking to her because if she listened to those tapes three or four times, and I've said that over and over and over without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if she don't believe that, that's the only way she's going to get healed. Then she's just going to have to suffer and die. Whatever. Ain't nothing I could do for you. There's nothing I can do for you because you have to believe God." And you have to believe Him with no doubt. And I'm going to tell you, that's why there's so many people in the church today that say they have great faith, but they really don't. You go to a home of... And I've done this many times in my life. I've went to homes of people, and some of them are Christians, been in church all of their life. And I would teach them the Word of God. And they didn't know these things. They had never been taught. And some of them, of course, some of them have been. Some of them were Pentecostal charismatics and still were sick and afflicted. And I would get with, that's what really blows me away, to stand with a Pentecostal pastor, like I did one day with three of them, and find out how little those three men knew about the Word of God. And those guys are standing in the pulpit of a Pentecostal church. And I just told all three of them, I said, I am ashamed of you three guys. I'm just a Baptist deacon. And I said, you guys don't know enough Scripture to shake your head at the Word of God. I said, you know, no wonder you don't see no power in your church. I said, without knowledge of the Word, you can't do nothing. But you try to go to a home of a man or a woman that's been in the church all their life, and you try to teach these things to them, and maybe, maybe you only find out about them when they get cancer. And so you go to them, and you pray for them, and you begin to build their faith. And when you begin to build their faith, and they see these things, and they begin to see their eyes light up. You begin to see the faith developing in them. And they think, wow, this is awesome. These promises, why didn't they teach these things to us in church? And so as they continue to read and their faith builds, And then you begin to wonder, like I have, on so many people. I've seen so many miraculous things. People instantly healed of cancer. And then the next one, I teach them the word 10, 12, 20 hours, and they still die. But I begin to pay attention to what they do when I go to their home. And I'm there, and I'm building their faith. Oh, yeah, I believe that. I know that. I believe that. And then the telephone rings. And somebody calls it, oh, yeah, I understand that Jack or Susie or whatever uh, is sick and got cancer. Oh, yeah, she's got cancer and she's just getting worse every day. We don't know what we're going to do. Was there any faith in that? You know what should have come out of their mouth? No, she, she, I mean, the symptoms, the devil's put it on her. It appears that she's got cancer, but the Word says she's healed. So bless God, it can't fail. If Jesus said she's healed, it's a done deal. See, you can't sow your seed one day and dig it up the next with your mouth because it won't work. It will not work. You've got to believe this book with no doubt if you want to see a miracle. I think of the people that I've taught this book to. I think about people with terminal cancer. I've seen people on their deathbed within a few days of dying and I've taught this stuff to them. Usually it takes four to six hours at least And then I've had some of those people would look at me with fire in their eyes. This one little lady especially comes to my mind that just a year ago, this last month, was on her deathbed, was given about a week left to live, had terminal breast cancer, hadn't had a bite of food to eat in three weeks. And I'm telling you, when I taught her the Word of God for five hours and I looked at that little lady, I said, ma'am, do you now know, have enough, heard enough of the Word of God to be healed? And that woman looked at me with fire in her eyes and she said, Now, this is a little Baptist woman, too. She said, you come over here and cast this demon of hell out of me, and I'm going to be healed right now. I went over there and cast that demon out of that woman, spoke the healing power of Jesus into that woman. I said, if you believe him, now get up. And she stood up, and I literally, before my very eyes, saw the Holy Spirit heal and remove every symptom of that woman's sickness before my very eyes. And that woman, that took her three hours to get out of bed that morning and get to the chair where I ministered to her and her husband, got out of that chair and went with me and her husband and walked all the way to the end of the terminal in Corpus Christi and on the way back that night, hadn't had a bite of food to eat in three weeks, her intestines totally blocked, stopped, said, honey, Don, was her husband's name, said, honey, stop right there. Jesus said, heal me, we're going to have a fried shrimp dinner tonight. And she pulled in and ate one. Is that faith? Sure, that's faith. And that woman was alive and well today. But I'll tell you about this little lady sitting right here. Since she's sitting right here, this little lady right here sitting right here, Anne, she had, been, had already had one knee operated on, and was already had made arrangements to have the other one operated on. And when she came to my first healing school, she came to a couple of them, and she heard me teach the Word of God, and she believed God. She went, I asked her, I said, do "You want me to pray for you?" And she said, "No, no, I've learned how to do this myself." Now, this little gal that couldn't bend down, couldn't run, pain in her knee, already had one operated on and scheduled to have the other one done, went home, sat down in a chair, merely looked at her knee and she said, Satan, I've learned you're the destroyer. You're the one that causes these problems. little Baptist woman again, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave. She said, now then, you have to go because it's written. I'm healed because Jesus healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now then, thank you, Lord, for healing me. And I uh, hadn't been able to get down, uh, kneel down, or run. She stepped out of her chair, bowed down before her God, thanked Him that she could bow down, got up, put her tennis shoes on, and went and run two miles. Now, let me tell you what, and she's been totally healed ever since. Is that the truth, Ann? You see what I'm saying? What will faith do for you? Now, she could have said, I'll speak to that knee, and I command you to be healed. And she could have said, now, Lord, if it don't hurt, I'm going to bow down on you. <laughs> See, that's where most of us are. That's where most of us are. We don't believe the king. But this little lady right here, since she's sitting right here today, she believed the king, and she didn't even test it. She said, it's done because it's written. And she fell out of her chair on her knees and bowed down before her king and thanked him for healing, and then got up and put her tennis shoes on and went out and brought And she ain't never had another problem with that knee to this day. Now, that's what faith is. Last July. And been totally healed ever since. Going and running and doing everything she wants to do. And how long did it take? That long. And did she have to scream or anything? No. Nope. Just spoke it by faith in the name of Jesus. She literally believed what was written in the pages of the Word of God. Yes, ma'am. I had arthritis in my right knee. And I asked the Lord
3: to heal it. it took about three but it is completely healed. Amen. And then He straightened my spine out in my back. But I honestly feel like, and I, this is all I wanted to ask you, of course my whole, prayer, my, whole, my whole church was praying over me. And I was praying, but I, I honestly know that I wasn't fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. They were doing it for me. And when I ask the Lord to heal problems that I had, it's like they don't get healed unless I have other people praying for me. So that
0: my... yeah, in other words, what's happening, you don't have enough faith to develop it yourself. So what you're doing, you're allowing the faith of others to help you. And, and that's good, because that's why the Lord made us a body. So if you'll do that, you can be healed. And you can even be healed on the faith of other people, but you can't maintain your healing by having faith of somebody else. Many times I've prayed for people. I've brought people in and, and taught them and prayed for them, and some of them have been instantly healed. I'll tell them, now then, go and begin whatever you used to do that put you in this situation. You need to change it. You need to go start reading God's Word, studying. You need to start bowing down, worshiping the King. If you don't worship and praise the King, the devil's going to come back by your house. So, sometimes people will say, well, I don't really think it's that important that I do those things. I got my healing sore. I mean, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and do what I've been doing. Let me tell you what. The devil's going to come back. And chances are he'll not come back like he did before, but he'll come back just like Matthew 12:43 through 47 says he'll come back seven times worse. That's almost always the way it is. I have experienced this with people. I have tried. I've cast a demon out of people long range and seen them healed. And then I'd, I'd try to get back with them and I said, "Well, we're okay now. Everything's okay. I, we don't need." I said, "You've got to learn these things." And and they would. Well, we'll get back with you uh, maybe next week or next month. And, never next month or never comes until one day. They come back two or three or four or five or six months later. Thurman, Thurman, this sickness has come back. I'm much worse than I ever was. What do I do? I said, now this time, I'm not going to do it for you this time. You're going to come and sit down with me, and I'm going to build your faith in the Word of God. And until you're willing to sit down with me and let me show you from the Word and build your faith in, you make God a promise that you'll continue to do what He tells you to do in His Word then and only then will I pray for you again. Because I don't want you to be sick. And you shouldn't want to be sick. No Christian should be sick. There should be no sickness and disease in the church. None. We should not have any. Cold? Sir? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Fifteen years. Fifteen years ago I accepted Jesus Christ as my healer. And I'm going to tell you that from that day to this, I have not had one sick minute of no kind, and I'm 62 years old. How many men 62 years old, you know it had not had no sickness and disease, it works 14, 16 hours a day, five, six days a week, and teaches the Word of God four or five times a week at night and everything else. How many guys you know that ain't never had no sickness that does those kind of things? <laughs> but I'm telling you, it works. I have learned something that worked. That's just like uh, Tommy, uh, the guy that owns this home that's uh, gracious enough to let us use his home. Uh, he's been coming to many of my healing schools, and Tommy has learned a lot of things from the Word of God that he didn't know listening to me teach God's Word with the gifts he'd give me. So the other night there was a lady, and uh, her name was Denise, and I met her after that. And he walked in. He met their Christians. They used to be Baptists. They're now going to a non-denominational church here in the uh, Arlington uh, area. But uh, uh, the niece had a headache. And whenever he walked in, he said, How you all doing? She said, Well, I'm doing pretty good, but i got a headache. I mean, how many of us don't know that a headache comes from the devil? You know, it's not God. There's no If Jesus bore your pain on the cross in Isaiah 53, 4, then it, you shouldn't have any pain. But if you don't know that and you back off and let the devil beat up on you, you can just let him do it. So she didn't know that. So Tommy, he did to her what I did to Arsha sitting right here when I told him what, here were the last healing. Because I said, if you've got a headache and you want to kick the devil out, this is what you do. So I just, I think I like to scare her right out of her shirt. I just jumped over there on her right quick and grabbed a hold of her and began to scream, I command you to come out of her in the name of Jesus. And I think everybody in the place like to jumped out of their shirt. Especially her, because she didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't tell her nothing. And I said, if you do it like that, you can kick a devil out of you. You don't have to have a headache. So, when Denise told him, and of course her husband, uh, uh, he was right there with her, when he <laughs> said, I got a headache, he just reached over and grabbed her on top of the head and began to command that thing to come out of her. And the Holy Spirit came upon Tommy with such power, it literally knocked Denise out. <laughs> she literally fell on the floor. And she said, I passed out. When he grabbed me, he began to scream, I rebuke you, Satan. And she said, I've never had an experience like that in my life. And she said, "Whenever he next thing I know, he's over me and trying to get me to raise me up. And I get up and I said, how are you doing? She said, well, I ain't got a headache anymore. (laughs) But see, that's, that's what you do. You have to kick the devil out. I mean, do you think there's any sickness and disease in heaven? No. If God told us to pray that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven... You don't think that God puts sickness and disease on us. It's not from Him, it's from the devil. But if you go to sin, He will back off and turn the devil loose on you, and He'll make you sick. So if you've got all your sins confessed and you're walking holy before the Lord, there is no reason for any Christian to be sick. But you will be if you don't know the Word of God and you don't do what it says. And sometimes you think you're walking in obedience to the Word, but you're not even close. That's what blows us away. We're not even close to what God says because we don't know what He says. But as I've read this Word, I'm going to tell you in the last 20 years of my life as the Lord has begun to speak to me 23 and a half years ago and give me direct revelation from the Word, I have changed lots of things that I used to do. I used to think I was holy. But I look back on those days and I have changed lots of things. And... I'm a whole lot different today than I was 20 years ago. And I'm sure there's still a lot of problems, but I'm trying to be made perfect because that's what he's trying to do with each one of us. But he's trying to do that. Okay, so he's no respecter of persons. And we've already covered James 5, 14, 15, and 6, and we read that, talked about that a while ago. And he did, you know, if the Lord says... In fact, I'm going to read that one other in the Living Bible. I, I quoted the King James for you a while ago. I'm going to read it in the Living Bible this time. In the Living Bible... In James James 5, 14, 15, and 16, again he says, Is anyone sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him, and pour a little oil upon him, calling on the Lord to heal him. And their prayer, now this one is very clear. And their prayer, certainly, James 5, 14, 15, and 16, yeah. James chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16 When you go there and you look at it, and like I say, I always want you to turn in your Word to look at it because I want you to make sure that any preacher, teacher, whatever the Word of God, you should not listen only to what He says. You should check Him out with, It is written, right, young lady? Absolutely. Don't you ever, ever take what I say without checking me out in the Word. Because I might read that Scripture and tell you, Well, now, I know God can heal you, but I don't believe God heals every time. And I've heard preachers make that statement from the pulpit, and I'm going to tell you, when he said, and I don't believe God heals every time. That's not what James 5:14, 15, and 16 said. James 5:14, 15, and 16, in my Bible, in the Living Bible, in verse 15, and it says, "And their prayer, if offered in faith." Now that's what the Living Bible says. The the uh, King James just says, "And the prayer of faith shall save the sick." Now then, I, should, I could quote that and say, And the prayer, if offered in faith, will heal the sick, for the Lord will make him well. And if his sickness was caused by some sin, the Lord will forgive him. So then in verse 16, he says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other to, so that you may be healed. The earnest, earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. And then I hear people all the time say, Oh, my Thurman, I, mean, I, I wish I could be righteous like you. Or if I were righteous like you... You don't know how many times I've heard people tell me that after i developed the bold faith I have? I said, You dummy. You dummy. I said, What do you mean? You offend me. I said, I'm trying to offend you. <laughs> I said, If you don't know, James, if you don't know Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 that says, By what Jesus done for us on the cross, He made you the righteousness of God in Christ I didn't have a thing in the world to do with my righteousness Jesus did that for me didn't he young lady yeah. if Jesus made you and me the righteousness of God in Christ then if somebody says are you righteous young man what should you tell them yes, yes absolutely and some, some people will say well you don't act very righteous well let me tell you who, ha- who has the power within you to change that yeah. you do If you're not doing things that makes you appear to be righteous before people, then who's going to change that? You are. Stop going to the nightclubs. Start hanging out. Stop hanging out with the wrong people. Stop telling dirty jokes. You know, stop doing those things, right? Start serving God and being righteous because... He made you the righteousness of God in Christ. He made you a son of God. He made you a daughter of the king. He made you a princess of the king of the universe. So start acting like a princess. Because that's who you are. Start acting like one. You know, don't be an old nobody. Be a king's kid. It really has great benefits. I don't mind telling you. I love serving the king. I love seeing him do things. I love being able to tell people and a precious lady like this one bow down and do what she's done and see her totally instantly healed. Ain't nothing I could do, nothing in the world I've ever done that has paid those kind of benefits. You know it? Nothing. And then this little lady right here, the devil had beat up on her and she's learned how to pray their prayer faith. I mean, this girl has developed bold, violent faith. I'm going to have to keep up. I'm not going to keep up. She's going to pass me. (laughs) You know, she's getting there. She's really getting there. She really is. But all you got to do is read the word. And Psalms one oh three. Now listen to this. Now this I love this scripture. I quote this scripture all the time. The Lord has the most awesome benefit package of anybody I have ever seen. Can you imagine somebody going to work for a company and that you go to work and they say, Hey, now we got we pay you X number of dollars. Oh, that sounds good. I'll take that. And we got uh, two weeks vacation after one year. No, that's okay. I don't want your vacation. I just want to work and get my paycheck. And we got two days sick leave for you. too. No, that's all right. I don't want them days of sick leave. And well, we'll pay your health benefits too. No, that's okay. I don't want them. All I want is the money. i guy got to say, what's wrong with that dumb guy? Is that right? What is wrong with that guy? I mean, we give him all this stuff free. He don't want it. Well, listen to what the Lord's benefit package is in Psalm 103. Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Here they are. Who forgiveth all of your iniquities. How many of your iniquities? All. Oh. Oh. Who healeth some of your diseases. Oh. No, that's not... Uh, see, you're oh. checking me out, girl. See? Oh, so your Bible reads different than mine, huh? Well, if yours
1: says some,
0: I'm sure that. Oh, uh. <laughs> You see why I tell you to read the Word? You don't ever know who a man's going to... Or any woman's going to tell you. Because did you know the devil has got men and women standing in the pulpits preaching the Word of God today? And that's what's wrong with us. And we, like a bunch of sheep, are sitting out there, and we just listen to them. We don't even open our Bible and say, My pastor told me that. It's got to be true. And that's not necessarily right. If what he said... Don't line up what's written. You better nail him down, right? I don't care who he is. He might have been taught wrong. It says, Who healeth all of your diseases. How many of your diseases? All. Who redeemeth your life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Wow! Does that fit you and me? Absolutely! I really do like this one. I quote that number five. As I walk in my workplace, as I walk through my place of business, as I'm singing the Word of God, as I'm walking through praising the King, and I walk through that place, and the more I walk in I say, Good morning, everybody. Glory to God. Praise the Lord Jesus. Walk right in through the place, and everybody just says, Good morning, sir. Good morning. Praise the <laughs> Lord. Some of them will say, Praise the Lord. i walk through there singing, Glory to the Lord. I mean, it's awesome, you know. But guess what happens when one of them people gets sick, or one of them needs something, and they come to my office, and I pray for them. Or pray for their mothers, their fathers, or whatever. Guess what God does when I pray? He answers. Awesome things have happened in that place. I tell you, this this wonderful little black lady the other day, I come down the stairway, she come down the elevator, and she had a great big old wrap on her arm. And I said, oh, honey, I said, what is wrong with you? She said, oh, Mr. Scrivener, I burned my arm, and I got this great big old sore on my arm. And said, the doctors just can't seem to get it to dry up. She said, let me show you. And she pulled this big old wrap off, and she had a three-inch long, one-inch wide burn right there. I said, my goodness, that does look terrible. I said, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? She said, I'd love it. Would you pray for me? I said, yes, ma'am. Now, Jesus made you a promise in Mark chapter 16, verse 18. Anybody know what that says? Turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 18 in your Bible and see what your Bible says. Because yours might not read like mine does. In Mark chapter 16, verse 18, let's see what Jesus said would happen when you did something. But you got to do something. In Mark chapter 16, verse
3: 18.
0: Mark sixteen eighteen. Hey, young lady, what did it say? And they
3: will pick up serpents, and if they drink the deadly poison, it will not hurt
2: them. They will lay hands on the sick and
0: they will recover. Wait a minute now. She just said to me, does your Bible read you lay hands on the sick and they will recover? Mm-hmm. Why is it that we don't hardly ever see anybody in the church do that? I, don't believe it. I mean, so what? I
4: don't
0: know my people like... Hosea 4, six. my yeah. people perish for lack of knowledge, right? Okay. Sure. And then the rest of that, in case you hadn't read the rest of that, he said, because you have rejected knowledge, so shall I reject your children. That's a devastating thought, isn't it? Because you've not done what God says. He said, I will reject your children. He told you clearly, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. I mean, is that what he said? So guess what I did to that little lady? Knowing that scripture, I said, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? She said, I would love it. Would you pray for me? I said, yes, I'll be happy to. So I reached up and laid my hand right there. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, it is written. Always remember that. It is written. Mark chapter 16, verse 18. You said, lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. And I said, thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written. I said, ma'am, it's done because it's written. All you need to do is go begin to praise the Lord. So she put her wrap back on her arm and walked out. That was at noon. The second morning, that woman busts the door down in my office as she come in. Oh, screaming, "Mr. Scribner, have I got a testimony? Look at my
2: arms, look at my arms.
0: And guess what? No scab. No scab, nothing. Her arm was just precious and slick and smooth as mine. Now then, what kind of a healing did she get? She got a miracle healing. No skin grows back from a burn in a day and a half, does it? What put that in motion for that to happen? Faith in what? The Word. Faith in the Word. What did I do to her? I quoted the Word. I said, ma'am, it is written. Jesus said. Now, when you start putting Jesus' Word on the line, and you really mean it, guess what's going to happen? It'll happen. Now, what if I'd have said, oh, ma'am, that sure is a bad-looking sore. Let's, let me lay hands on Jesus did say I could lay hands on it. And he'd get, well, let's, let's try him. Let's see if he'll do anything for you. Do you hear any faith in that, Jeff? No. And Jesus didn't hear any faith in that either. And the devil standing out there said, Oh, God, look at your stupid little son. You made a promise so clear to him. He don't believe you. And that's where we're at. We don't believe the Lord. He made us those promises. He says, when you pray or when you ask anything... You must believe with no doubt in your heart. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's why we're sick and afflicted today, because we say we believe this book. But we don't believe this book. We mentally assent to the book. Yes, Thurman, I believe, I believe the Word is true. I know the Word. I I mean, I've prayed for people, this one woman, I've I've had many experiences like this, this one lady... I went over to her and her husband, and I, I prayed. She'd been a Bible teacher for years. I went over and said, you know, man, let me open the Word to you. Every time I'd open the Word, she said, Thurman. She'd quote the Word first before I got through with it. She said, I know the Word. I went away from that place thinking, Lord, why is this woman not healed? Lord, I don't understand. Stand this. I'm totally confused. This woman knows the Word every bit as well as I do. She, every verse, every verse I started to quote, she finished it for me. And I'm walking up and down saying, God, what is wrong with this woman? Where did I miss it? Now, if you stay on God's doorstep long enough, guess what He'll do to you? He'll answer you. That's right. And He spoke to me and He says, son, she don't believe it at all. She's never believed it. She mentally assents to it. She has it in her head, but she don't believe it. His son, if she believed it, she'd get up off that sickbed and start doing her work and be healed. So I went back over there, and I said, Ma'am, I found your problem. She said, What do you mean? I said, Let me show you what the Word says. And so I started there in Isaiah 53, 4, and I read that. As I started, she quoted. She said, Thurman, like I told you before, I know the Word. And so I went to Matthew eight, sixteen, and 17, and I started, and she quoted it. She said, I told you last time you was here, I know the word. I said, ma'am, yes, ma'am, you, you got it up here, but you don't believe it. She said, of course I do. I said, no, you don't. I said, if Jesus said with his stripes you were healed, you would look at that and you'd say, Lord, if you're with your stripes I'm healed, thank you, Lord. I'm going to get up and go do my housework. I'm healed. I don't have to be sick no more. And she looked at me and she said, you know, You're right. I've taught this Bible for twenty-five years, and I never did believe that. She said, "I have always, just like you said, I have mentally assented to that." She said, "You know, tonight, I believe it. It's now soaked all the way down into my heart." She said, "I'm healed because Jesus said it." She said, "Thank you, Lord." And that woman got up and was healed. Isn't that awesome? That's me. Well, that's most of us, Jeff. That's most of us. Yes,
4: ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I think it's important when we're studying the Word, not read it or memorize it, but to pray as we're reading it and say, God, why do you need in here? And just ask for mm-hmm. his revelation. Because I was studying Isaiah 53. This has been about two years ago. And I was reading, you know, By His Stripes Were Healed, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden God just gave me that rainbow. word. And it's like, I've read that a hundred times. and But that time it got down into my heart and I believed it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we don't have to be sick anymore. That's right. And then about a month after that, I um, blew my nose when I had evidence. I had a pretty bad sinus infection. Got up the next morning, had the, the achy head, the achy joints. And I was standing at the sink taking Advil, and I thought, wait a minute, what am I doing? I don't have to put up with this. So I just started commanding that demon to get his hands off of me and quoting scripture over my my body, and I mean, I was so spiritually mad about it. Then I just went into praise and worship, and d and I never had one more snotty nose, no more, one bit of fever, not Absolutely. more, ever, any symptom at all.
0: Absolutely. And Absolutely. And
4: about a month after that, it tried to get on my body again. And this time my husband was with me. And I told him, we were driving down the road going to Arkansas, when we get to the hotel room, I need you to pray with me because that's trying to get on my body again. See, I wasn't taking ownership with it. Right. Of it with and he said, well, let's not wait till we get to the hotel room. Let's pay
1: <coughs> now. Amen. And
4: so we held hands going down the freeway, rebuking <laughs> that demon. But we got to the hotel room. I was still sick. Woke up the next morning. I was still sick. And I told him, I said, I think you may have to just leave me here. And I laid there for minute and went, wait a minute. What am I talking about? That's right. I, I believe this. We prayed it. I am healed. My body may not act healed. Now I need to get up and walk it out. Amen. And and walk like I'm healed. So I threw back the cover and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm healed. I'm going with you. An hour down the road, I did not have one more system. Amen. now
0: that's the way you make it work.
4: My husband is seeing it. Sure. And just this last Sunday, he was really flushed and I said, is there anything wrong with you? He said, I think my scratchy throat, you know, fever, trying to get... I said, no, let's stop that right now. And so I walked over to him, laid hands on him and prayed on him, commanded that out of him. He got up the next morning. I said, how you feeling? He said, I feel great. He saw and he believed. Uh-huh. And so now he can walk that out in faith as well. We just don't. We're never going to have anything. See,
0: that, it is so awesome. Of course, when you have people like this young lady and many others in here that have uh, had miracles like this, you have to realize that when Jesus came to become your substitute for sin, for sickness and disease, and to redeem you from the curse, he meant what he said. But we are so stupid as sheep. That's why he called us sheep. You know, I mean, I was a, my dad was a sheep farmer. We raised sheep, and the sheep is the only thing in the world that will lay down in a ditch and get over on its side and lay right there and die and not get up if you don't go over there and kick him over you know i mean they're, they they it's so awesome they're so stupid and now i understand why jesus calls us sheep because we we read the word i'm serious we read the word and we find out that he give us all this power i mean when you read this bible when you really read this bible if you read it and you really get it in you you just i mean you just begin to bubble as you think hey I'm not just a nobody. I'm a king's kid. And I've been empowered with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Everything is mine. The demons have to be subject to me. The foul weather has to be subject to me. The hail has to be subject to me. Everything that's killing, stealing, and destroying has to be subject to me in the name of Jesus. And man, it totally changed the way you do business. When you learn you can have anything you say with your mouth, if you speak it by faith from God's Word, you don't ever have to worry about nothing no more. You don't have to be sick no more. You don't have to be poor no more. I mean, you don't ever have to worry about a tornado come and blow your house down no more. Because if you've got this Word in you, I guarantee you can stand right there and say, i rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, peace be still. And if you speak in faith, I guarantee that tornado is going to stop just like it did when Jesus spoke it. And I've done that three times in the last eight years and seen that happen. I've seen hail stopped. I've been in the middle of hail storms with people and I'd tell them what I'm going to do and I would commit, short tell them the scriptures and then I'd speak in the name of Jesus and the hail would stop totally and not one hailstone hit my car sitting out in the middle and others all around and everything would be tore all to pieces and I wouldn't get not one dent on my car. But God give us that a power but it comes down to the fact just like Peter walking on water Jesus he said Lord If that's really you over there in Matthew fourteen, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. What did Jesus say? Come. How many words did he give him? One. One little dinky word. Come. What did Peter do? Step down out of the boat as all the rest of them Baptists are saying, You fool! Don't jump out into that lake in that storm. You know you'll drown. And the only reason I use that because I'm a Baptist. If I was a Methodist, I'd say us was a Methodist because I know we're all the same in the kingdom of God. We don't have no faith. But Peter believed God. And he got down with one word and walked on the water. But guess who, when he began to walk on the water, guess who showed up? I mean, the devil. I mean, he says, if I don't do something now... If I don't do something now, if I don't stir up them waves, and if I don't increase the wind to make him become fearful, in a few minutes the rest of them Baptists are going to be out there walking on the water, and I'm going to be in big trouble. And he would have been, wouldn't he? Yes. Of course he does. You read back through the Scriptures. You go back into the book of Job, way back yonder, and you'll see when Satan appeared before the Lord in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, and he got permission to go to the earth. What was the first thing he did? He brought a tornado in and knocked the corners out from under Job's house where his ten sons and daughters were having a party and killed all ten of his kids. Then it says, and he rained fire, lightning fire down from heaven and burned his crops. Today, people would say, that's an act of God. It was an act of God, but not of the Jehovah God we serve, but the God of this world, which is Satan
2: whatever every ever every storm is not
0: protected. everything that's killing stealing and destroying is from the devil everything jesus in john 10:10 jesus made us a statement either those things are from the devil or the word of god is not true james chapter 1 verse 17 says all good and perfect gifts comes from the father of whom there's no variation or turning All good gifts come from our Heavenly Father. John 10.10 says, And the thief, which is Satan, come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. Now, let's draw a line right there. In a tornado that's tearing up property and destroying houses, you see any abundant life in that, Jeff? Not me. I don't. In fact, that day out there whenever Jesus was asleep in the boat, when they said, Lord, get up! Don't you care that we drowned? And He got up and said, Peace be still. And they said it was instant calm. And they said, What kind of man is this? And He looked them right in the eye and He says, Where is your faith? What was He trying to tell us? Sure! But does that blow the average Christian away? Thurman, you think that I could control a storm? You don't believe you can? No, then you can't. Because the Lord says, whatever you do from His Word, you've got to do it with no doubt. Now, I remember in May two years ago, when I walked outside and a tornado was tearing the place up. And I was already in the middle of it. It was tearing buildings up around me. And a man was right there with me, screaming, What are we going to do? And I jumped up and screamed, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Peace be still. And the wind went from 100 plus miles an hour to a light breeze in one heartbeat. And everything that was in the air fell to the ground. And it was total calm. And that man said, Thurman, if I hadn't have been here and seen that, I would have never believed that. That's what's wrong with us. We don't believe this book. When you read the Word of God, you will learn that Jesus not only gave you authority over sin, He gave you authority over the devil. He gave you authority over sickness and disease, which is the devil is the author of it. And anything else that the devil is doing that's killing, stealing, and destroying, he's giving you authority over it. When the devil... When a, when a tornado begins to come through, or hail, or all... This is Baptist preacher friend of mine. When I met him several years ago and began to teach him these things, he graduated from the seminary 25 years ago, and he thought I was crazy. Until one day he saw it. And then he said, You know, Thurman, that is what Jesus said. That's what he means. I said, That's right, sir. And so did you know from that, this boy had had, I don't know, three or four or five roofs put on his house in four or five years in that area. He lived in the Arlington area. And did you know after he learned this, every time when a storm or something would come up, he'd walk up there and say, You ain't going to do this to my house, you beast. In the name of Jesus, I command not one hailstone to hit my house in Jesus' name. And he has never put another roof on that house since that day. But every spring... Whenever they say, tornado's coming, or hailstones coming, whatever, he walks out there and says, You ain't going to do it to me, you devil. Just like this little lady right here did. I don't have to put up with this nonsense. That comes from the devil. In the name of Jesus, I command you to take your filthy hands off of me, devil. And if you speak it in faith, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. Just like this little lady said, and just like this one here, when she bowed down, when she merely commanded the thing to leave her, and said, Lord, thank you. It's done. Because it's written. But you're
3: right about me. You're, I mean, they think you're nuts. three, was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago on Saturday, I got up that morning and I had to go to a, a meeting around in Suntown And uh, the weather was saying that it was pretty certain we were going to have a tornado come through downtown Dallas. And I was going to be like, right there. And, I, and it was cloudy and yucky and mucky, And I just got on my knees in the morning and I prayed. And I said, now, God, protect my car, protect me wherever I go today, the building I'm in, da 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 send your angels. And I got to that class and I made a comment to the teacher. I said, we ought to have a prayer here about this. She kind of just went right over her head. But the man next to me heard me make a comment about it. And later during the break, when I had to get up late, I left at, the, at lunch. And uh, he looked at me and he said, some made some kind of a... Not a smart remark. We kind of were like, well, you know, what about the weather kind of deals? I looked at him and I said, we're not going to have a tornado here. I said, you think I'm joking. And he crossed his fingers and I looked at him and I said, oh, I prayed about it. I said, if you don't want to be in tornado today, follow me around.
1: Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Now, you, you see what I'm talking about faith is? Now, this girl's beginning to acquire faith. Now, see what's, what has made the difference in her in the f- last few months All I'll ask you Orsha what has made the difference in you in the last few months than the months before
3: well the first thing is I began to understand about faith I think the first thing that that uh, that Thurman said that really hit me was faith is the word of God in action Amen. I will never forget that sentence Amen. First, first one of the classes I came to and then he started and then of course I started learning the things he taught but then one night he said to me and I've been in a situation where I couldn't do that. I've been living in a situation where I never knew who was going to walk through the room. And so I couldn't, you know, get down on my knees and pray. It was just, and I, I just couldn't do it. I had to do it in the car or wherever. But he said, get down on your knees and start praising God and thanking Him. And I do. I, I read psalms. I mean, I'll mm-hmm. pray and do whatever prayer, and then I'll grab the Bible and read psalm or whatever. and Or say one of the hymns that are on that sheet that your mm-hmm. church hands out. Mm-hmm. I'll read those out loud or whatever. And... If you... And thank you, and thank, and thank you, I thank you, thank you. you, made. you said faith, is the... a... faith is the Word of God in
0: action. Yeah, in other words, faith. What faith is, and, and of course I'm going to hit some, much of those scriptures here in a few minutes. But well, what faith is, is reading the Word of God, believing it, and acting on it. If Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well... If you don't ever walk up to somebody... Say, let's say Jeff was the one that had the uh, the sore on his arm. If I never walked up and said, Jeff, Jesus said to lay hands on you and he'll heal you. Guess what will happen? It never happened to Jeff. It'll just heal normal or you won't ever get healed, right? But if I walk up and say, Jeff, Jesus said... And let me show you in the Word where Jesus said it. Now, why am I going to show him? I'm going to show him to build his faith. I'm going to say, Jeff, look what Jesus said right here. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18... Lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And he may have never been taught that in church in his life. And if he looks at that and he says, Wait a minute, what kind of foreign Bible are you reading out of there? So he goes and gets his, the one he's carried all this time that he's trusted and read. And he opens up, he says, My lens, mine says the same thing. Oh, he said, Okay, if Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. Right, Jeff?" If that's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. He said, lay hands on me. Let's get this done. And I do. And he said, thank you, Lord. It's done. Now, we might have saw it just heal up right there. Or it might, tomorrow, he may, may wake up in the morning and he sees no difference. Well, what does he got to do? Thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written. What if the second morning he wakes up and he still don't see no difference? Thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written. I'll tell you the most awesome story I've ever heard about a woman that came down on a scripture like that and they prayed over her and this woman had a great big garter on her throat. This thing was a humongous thing. And immediately after they prayed for her, she said, I want to get up and give a testimony that the Lord has healed me. So the pastor said, okay. So she gets up and this thing's hanging (coughs) on her neck. She said, I just want to praise Jesus that His word says I'm healed so I believe it. I'm healed. Well, okay. They just prayed for her. So, Six months later, she walks around the church every day. She says, Pastor, I want to give another testimony this morning and to thank the Lord for healing me and taking his garter off. He said, but it's not gone. Oh, yeah, she said it's gone because the Word says so. So she gets up there and she tells everybody, every six months for two years this woman does this. Now, then, what do you think most of the church members begin to think about this poor, yeah, this gal, you know, I mean, she's got a loose screw. Can't she see this thing's not gone? But this woman believed God. Nearly two years went by, and it was either third or fourth time, she said, Pastor, I want to give another testimony and praise the Lord for taking this garter off my neck. He thought, oh gosh. He said, okay, okay, go ahead. So she gets up there, and she said, you know, I just want to give a testimony again, tell the Lord Jesus how grateful I am to Him for removing this garter on my neck. And the people out there said, oh, not her again. And about that time, guess what happened? That thing dematerialized in one heartbeat before everybody's eyes, and it was gone. Standing at the pulpit with a whole church watching, it dematerialized and left. And the church went wild. Yeah. <laughs> and after they all settled down a little bit, she said, What are you all so wild about? I've been telling you all for two years, it's gone. Did that little woman have faith? Yes. But see, that's the kind of faith that moves the hand of God. Now then, what if she had a doubted the second morning when she woke up and she looked she said, Oh Lord, it didn't happen. It's not gone. And the devil says, That's right. And he said, you got to believe with no doubt. So there's doubt. So he says, God, she just lost her miracle. You know what she was like? She was like um, Peter in Matthew 14 when he was walking on the water. When Peter walked on the water, he walked on the water until what happened? Until he doubted. The very minute he doubted, what happened to the water? He began to sink. And when he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord reached out his hand and picked him up and looked him right in the eye. And what did the Lord say to Peter when he looked him right in the eye? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Which means that if he had not doubted, and he had not yielded to the fear, guess what would have happened? In a few minutes, all of that boatload of Baptists would have been out there walking and dancing on the water. And the devil, when a boatload of Baptists starts walking on the water, the devil's in trouble, let me tell you. (laughs) I guarantee... But I don't know what kind of church you come from, but if you're a Methodist, Catholic... Pentecostal, it don't make no difference. The day a boatload of us gets to walking on the water, the devil's in big trouble, I can tell you for sure. And he ought to be in big trouble because we ought to start believing our king, right, young lady? We ought to start believing him, but we don't. Okay, now let's go on down here. And Isaiah 53, we're going to get into this scripture this little lady was talking about a while ago where she got such a great revelation a few years ago. And Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, which is an awesome set of scriptures. It says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, It said, Surely He, Jesus, has borne our grief. Now, that word there in the Hebrew, choi, or however you pronounce that, is correctly pronounced pain. So, surely He has borne our pain and carried our sorrows. And that word there is also translated diseases or sicknesses. So surely he hath borne our pain and carried sicknesses, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, anybody know how many years before Christ came that this was written by the prophet Isaiah? 750 years before our Savior came. He penned this by the Holy Spirit. He told us clearly what Jesus was going to do. He was going to come to be our substitute for all these things. And nobody had a clue of the substitutionary death of Christ until it was revealed to Paul. But none of the apostles knew it. None of them understood it. None of them. Now, even I mean, Peter, after even being filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues and prophesied and everything, they said, men, what must we do to be saved? What did Peter say? come and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, no, come and repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Because he didn't have a clue that Christ had come to be the substitute for sin, sickness, and disease, and for the curse. He didn't have a clue. And later, none of them had a clue. None of them understood it, the Scripture says. But one day, on the way to Damascus, the Lord appeared unto Paul. And knocked him off of his horse. And then blinded him. And then brought him up to the third heaven and said, Son, they didn't get it. So I'm going to have to tell you mouth to mouth. You've got to know that I come and sent my son to be the substitute for their sins, for their sickness and disease. And finally, when you get to the book of Romans, Paul starts laying it out. And he begins telling us after that. And so then any good Baptist preacher in the world, if you say, Do you believe Jesus came and became your substitute for sin? They'll all say, yes, absolutely. He paid the price. He became my substitute for sin. Well, do you believe that any sinner, any sinner that'll hear you preach that and teach them that Jesus became their substitute, and if they'll just come and accept that free gift that Jesus the Father will save them in the name of Jesus every time that anybody will receive that name by faith? Absolutely. It'll happen every time. I mean, you hardly ever run into a Baptist preacher who won't tell you that. I mean, not many preachers. You run into a few of that now that are a little on the wild side that'll say, well, I'm not sure of that, but they're really out there in the left field. But did you know that word, it says, be saved, that word is sozo in the Greek. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, 10, it says, "If where is it? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we preach that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that the Father raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Sozo. you have any idea of what any other meanings of the word sozo might be in the Greek? The word sozo means saved, healed, Health, made whole, preserved, delivered, prosper. prosper. Wow! Now, wait a minute. So, you go back and you look in the Greek New Testament and you find out that the word sozo is used 120 times in 103 verses. And if you go back and read every one of them, you'll find out one time Jesus will say to the little woman, Do you want to be made whole? Sozo. Do you want to be healed? Sozo. Do you want to be delivered from this demon? Sozo. Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Then do you want to be saved? Sozo. Lord, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got a question, Lord. If that word means all of those things, then when I confess you with my mouth and believe with my heart that you were my Lord, why do I still get sick after that? Because I've been confessing you as my Savior ever since I was an 11-year-old boy. i believe that with my heart. I've been speaking it with my mouth. Somebody says, You're a born-again Christian. Say, Yes, sir. I know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And so because of the blood of Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Well, Lord, if all that's true, then why, if I'm and I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm made whole, I'm delivered, I'm preserved. If all those things are all inclusive, then how come I have still been sick so many times since I was 11 years old? And he spoke to me as clear as a bell. And he said, because you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. And that's when I received him as my healer. And then I began to go tell everybody, I'm never going to be sick again. There's a man called me the other day, applying for a job. And he said, I'm 57 years old, 56 years old. I said, well, that's not bad. I said, I'm 62. I said, you've got lots of good years. Left. He said, well, if you're 62, he said, I hope the Lord will let you be healthy if you, if you will. I said, I ain't, gonna, I ain't no hope to it. He said, what do you mean? Of course there's hope. I said, no, yeah, there's hope, but I ain't hoping. I said, I have received Jesus as my healer, and I said, I have not been sick a day in the last 15 years, and I ain't going to start now. Oh, then i me like That man...
3: Well, I hope she'll... And that's when I stopped him. I said, Michael, I told you there is no hope. You've got to have the faith. If you don't have the faith, them. I'm not going to listen to you. And I'm not going to entertain that. That was what he said. There was. you
0: go. But see, hope. What is hope? What is hope? we got hope of what? we got hope of heaven. That's future tense. Do, do we have hope of heaven? Yes. Yeah, because we ain't there yet. We're hoping that down the line somewhere, that when the day comes... But I'm not in a hurry to get there. I'm having too much fun serving the king now. I mean, you know, it's almost like being in heaven to get to serve him on this earth when you learn all these things in the Word. You can literally reign in life, just like Romans 5.17 says, to the person that learns the abundance of the grace and these magnificent promises, shall reign with the Lord now on the earth in Romans 5.17. Wow, I've got a whole tape out there. One of these boxes that's in there in the kitchen called How to Reign. And I based that whole tape around that scripture. How to Reign, Romans 5, 17. But how many Christians you met are reigning? Not very many. Why? Because they don't believe God's Word. When you believe the Word, you can reign with the Lord. After you look at Isaiah 53, 4, and 5, where he said he bore your griefs or your pain and your sorrows or your sickness and disease, then if you want a real good commentary on that scripture for healing, you go to the New Testament. There's been many, many commentaries written by other men, but there's never been one better than Matthew eight, sixteen, and seventeen. A not a better commentary on Matthew eight, sixteen, and seventeen than I mean on Isaiah fifty three, four and five, than Matthew eight, sixteen, and seventeen. So when you go to Matthew eight, sixteen and seventeen in Matthew 8:16, it says, "When the evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils or demons, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare away our sicknesses." In fact, I use that verse. Just last year, I had been ministering to a little woman, 52 years old, sitting in a wheelchair with hepatitis since she was 41 years old. And in her translation, when I had her read these things, and I'd been ministering to her for two or two and a half hours, whatever, quite a quite a few, a little while. When I came to this verse, I don't know what translation she had, but her Bible said, "Jesus." bore my uh, uh, sicknesses and removed my diseases and she stopped there and she read that again she said Thurman that says Jesus bore my sicknesses and removed my diseases I said yes ma'am mine says himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses but I said that's what it says yes ma'am that's it She said, what am I doing sitting in this wheelchair then? I said, that's what I've been trying to get across to you. She said, that means I was healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. I said, yes, ma'am, that's right. That's what it means. She said, would you cast this demon out of me? I said, yes, ma'am. I looked at that little woman. I said, in the name of Jesus, this spirit of hepatitis has bound her for 11 years. I said, you've had it now, you devil. You ain't got a chance. I said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, now, Lord, send the Holy Spirit in to restore her legs and her back because she's got great faith now. I said, now, Nancy, in the mighty name of Jesus, just like Peter did in Acts chapter 3, rise and be healed. And she said, yes, thank you, Lord, it's mine. And she pushed on him arms and stood up and walked off screaming, praise the Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus, I'm healed. Eleven years she'd sit in that wheelchair. Eleven years that little woman sat in that wheelchair. When did Jesus heal us? Two thousand years ago on the cross. But guess who's going to come by and beat up on you if you don't know what's yours? The enemy. The devil. Why do most Christians sit in sickness and disease? They don't know. That's right. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know these things. Because if you know these... Now, a lot of people know these things. Like this woman I was telling you about a while ago. She knew all the Scriptures. She had taught the Word of God 20 or 25 years. But she <coughs> mentally assented to them. That's what's wrong with most of us. If you really believe God's Word, it'll work for you. If, of course, you're walking in obedience to the Word. Now, you can't be living in sin... I mean, if you're if you're lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, and you're speaking evil about everybody, and you're walking around telling evil stories about everybody up on the block, and you're living in the devil's world, don't come to God and ask Him to heal you because He's not going to do it. It don't work, and that's what's that's another thing's wrong with the church. So many people in the church are, are holding unforgiveness. They're not doing what God says. And if you're not walking in love, he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that your faith worketh by love. If you're not walking in love, forget it. There's a whole lot you have to learn about this book to make these things work for you. I have known people that have been in every prayer line. I mean, I'm talking about from the top evangelists in the nation down some of them there every time, and they never get healed. And then you sit down with them for four or five hours and tell them what's required to get healed. And sometimes it takes 10 or 20 or 30 hours worth of teaching. And if, you, if they finally get it and begin to do what the Lord says, guess who the healer still is? It's Jesus, the same that was here 2,000 years ago. Guess who, guess who knows everything about you? Jesus. So if you're living in sin or you don't have any faith, and you're going over there to every time a crusade comes to town that's got a big name of vanities, And you're living in sin. Or let's say you're living with a woman or a man out of wedlock or whatever. And you're doing all these things. And you've got AIDS. Or you've got sickness and disease. And you go down and say, I've got to get healed. I'm liable to die with this sickness i got. And you go down there. And the man prays for you. And nothing happens. And you go home. And you go right, right back home to the woman you had last night. And you go back to bed with her. And she's not your wife. I'm going to tell you why you didn't get healed. Because you're living in sin. I'm telling you something. Something turns God's stomach. If there's anything that can make God sick, of course there ain't nothing make God sick, but sin turns His stomach. He tells you to be holy. Obedient. Now, if you're not willing to do that, forget it. You ain't never going to get nothing from God. It ain't going to work for you. That's just how simple it is, Jeff. Yeah? It's a choice. That's just like I won't call the name of a man. But this man, a lovely lady, invited this man to come to my Bible study class a few months ago. And this man had a spur in his backside. And it was hurting. And He was trying to go to Mexico to get a doctor to do something with him. And this lady told him, will not you come over here and go to Thurman's Bible study class with me? And he did. And I told him what he had to do to get healed. And I prayed for him. And a month later, that man was back in my Bible study class. And he said, You know... of the pain is gone. But he said, I changed a few things too. And the next month, when I was here teaching a Bible study class right here, one of the people said, You know where he's at today? I said, I have no idea. They said, He's getting married. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Why did he have that spur in his backside that was killing him? He was living in sin. And when he heard me tell him, If you want to get healed, I'll pray for you. But if you're lying, stealing, cheating, or committing adultery, you are going to have to stop it. And you're going to have to ask God to forgive you. And He will. And then He will heal you. And He may not do it immediately. But if you will remain faithful to Him, guess who's with Him every time you went to bed with that woman out of wedlock? Well, The devil was there. And guess who else was was there? The Lord was there too. And He knows everything you do. So if you want to get something from the Lord, guess what you better do? You better be holy before the king. You know, it's a devastating thing, young lady, to think that he even knows the intent of my heart before I say it. Isn't that awesome to think? That's scary. You know, somebody says something to you and all of a sudden something rises up in you and says, I want to kill him. But you don't say it, you just think it. The king says, No, wait a minute, son, wait a minute. He said, Oh Lord forgive me, I don't want I don't want to hurt him. <laughs> he said, Now you're supposed to walk in love. Some, let me tell you, sometimes that's not easy, is it, guys? No. Sometimes a walk in love's not easy.
3: You know what? I just I just want something. Um, I grew up in an angry a very angry household. A father that was a, a every day, twenty four hour day, seven day week ranger. And I know that I ended up with, and, and I was hurt a lot in, in that family, and, and I grew up with a lot of anger inside of me. Now, I never let mine get out of hand like he did, but it was in there, and I didn't know it. So I just saw something the other day, this broker in this transaction. Goodness gracious, I mean, he is a wager and uses awful language and everything. He, he claims to be married to a woman who's a minister at one of the big churches now. And, of course, this is fourth marriage. He raged at me on the phone the other day for no reason. There was no reason. He was just uptight because there were some things that had to be done. Are you using and foul I,
0: language? Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Okay.
3: And uh, I want you to know, I want you to know, I
1: prayed for him.
0: Amen. <laughs> Amen. Good. That's what you should have done.
1: I didn't get mad at him.
0: That's I what, prayed for him. That's what you should have done. I In other words, let me let me put it this way. It will make it a lot easier for you when you understand Anytime a human being does that, guess who it is in them that's causing them to do that? The devil. Yes. When you realize you can hate evil, that's the only thing God says you can hate. When somebody begins to rage and speak and use words of profanity and everything else, it's a demon in them that's speaking out of their mouth. You can hate that devil, but you can't hate that human being. Because if you do, you get in trouble with God. So you don't hate that individual, but you can definitely hate that demon. In fact, if you, when you learn, you can cast that demon out of them. And you, when you learn, you can break the power of the devil over people's lives when you learn the power God's given you in the name of Jesus. I've done it many times to many people. In fact, the place where I work out there, a thousand people, when I first came in out there as a manager, when I first came in out there as a manager, uh, there was, I never heard so much profanity and evil speaking I mean, women made said awesome things. I didn't say it, nothing to nobody in the place. But the next morning on the way to work, as I'm driving down the road, I said, Satan, I demand that you come and sit down right there in my pickup. I have a word for you today, devil. I said, I'm a son of God. I am a joint heir with the king of the universe. And all the spiritual blessings that was available to him are available to me. And everything Jesus has done, I can do. So I, being a son of God, I am taking you, devil, and I'm commanding you in the name of Jesus that every one of those demons you put in that place at L.S.G. Skyship that's speaking words of profanity, I command you to stop, and I demand another, never another demon speak a word of profanity in my earshot in that place in the name of Jesus. Do you hear me, Satan? I said, now then, Jesus clearly told me in Luke 10:20, you have to be subject to me. So I said, now then, go and tell your boys what they're going to have to do when I walk in the halls and skyshaft. I said, now get out. And from that day to this, five and a half years later, guess how much profanity I hear in that place? None. None. In fact, one morning I had reiterated that prayer, and I was in a meeting with 25 other supervisors and managers. And there was a woman in that meeting. It was a great big set of U-tables, and I'm sitting, we're over here on this side, and this this little lady's sitting over there on that side. And somebody said something up at the head that kind of excited her, and she said, Well, I wonder what in the hell? And as soon as she said, that all got out of her mouth. She slapped her hand over her mouth, and she turned and looked right at me and said, Twenty-five managers in that room. She said, Thurman, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? (coughs) Out of 25 people, she didn't say that to nobody else in there. (laughs) Guess who has to be subject to you if you know? The devil. Isn't that awesome? An angel. As soon as she started to put that, an angel reached up and grabbed her and slapped it over her mouth. And she only got half of that foul word out. And then with her man still over her mouth, she turned and looked at me and let her hand down and said, Thurman, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I said, yes. I'm telling you we've got power we don't know about people in the word of God you've got power until you get this word in your heart these things won't work for you but when you begin to read this book at face value and begin to believe it then you can do all these wonderful things you can walk just like this little lady said a while ago I don't have to put up with this in the name of Jesus and the sickness leaves you don't have to put up with none of that nonsense but you're either going to sense knowledge to it, or you're going to revelation faith to it. And when you revelation faith to it, that's when the devil becomes subject to you in the name of Jesus. Now then, let's go to another one. If uh, Matthew eight sixteen and 17 said, "...himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses." Let's go on to 1 Peter two twenty four. In 1 Peter two twenty four, Jesus clearly said, "...who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin should live under righteousness. Now then, here's the substitutionary thing that Jesus done. Peter had got revelation on this now. Look what he had said. If Jesus, his own self, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. Should live under righteousness. How should every Christian live? Under righteousness. We should, but we have a choice. Some of us don't. Some of us are rebels. And I'd like to say that most of us are rebels, unfortunately. Most of us are rebels in the church. If every one of us did what we're supposed to do, where would ever born again Christian be on Sunday morning and Sunday evening? In church. And during the course of the week, what would you be doing? That's right. Praying, talking to the Lord, reading the Bible, casting demons out of people, laying hands on the sick, and seeing our God do mighty things. And day we become obedient to the Word and begin to do everything the Lord says to us. Guess what's going to happen to a lot of people around you? They're going to be changed. You're going to see a place just like when I come to Sky Shelf and all that profanity I heard. You know what now happens when I sit down up there at lunch or when other people walk in that's when I'm not even there? people all over the place bow their heads and say their blessings over their food. Isn't that awesome? We even had some people attack the union the other day and said, if we can't cuss in this place, the Christians can't pray in this place. And guess what? The union man, both the president and the vice president of the union Used to be as lost as they could be. I led both those people back into the kingdom. They're both serving God. They're both on fire for Jesus. They've both seen many mighty miracles in the last five years when they come to the union and told them that they want to file a petition. Well, guess what they told them? Forget it. We wouldn't touch that with a ten-foot pole. We pray ourselves, so we're not going to stand in the gap for you when there's something we believe in. If you want to, if you want to take it higher, go on up to the top but we're not going to touch that. And when they told me, I said, praise God, I hope they take it to the top. I would love to get in there. I'd love to have a knockdown drag out. I'd love to get in a court and with those guys when they're saying, we don't want the Christians to pray, and I'd love to get about 30 or 40 or 50 people in there. And I'd say, why do you kneel in prayer? Why do you pray over your food now when you didn't five years ago? Well, because when you prayed for me three years ago, I was instantly healed of a terminal disease. Oh, not too bad. What about you? Oh, well, I pray now because you I walked into your office three years ago. And, and my dad was on his deathbed and they said he wouldn't make it through the night and you read Matthew eighteen nineteen, and you prayed and you said now then you can go down to the hospital your dad's going to be fine and I got down to the hospital two hours later and my dad was not out, not comatose anymore he's sitting on the side of the bed everything's working the next day they let him go home and dad lived three and a half years in perfect health and just like Thurman asked he said Lord give him three or four more good years and he said in three and a half years he died and went home to be of the Lord with no sickness and no disease he said that's why I pray over my meal I would love I would love to have a knockdown drag out. Wouldn't you? With those kind of mighty, guess what's going to happen when that begins to happen? It's not going to be long. The devil's going to be defeated and everybody's going to be hearing these things and say, wow, if those things work for this little lady, they might work for me. I better start reading that book too. And guess what's going to happen? God's going to be glorified. Why should you do these things in your workplace, young lady? Isn't that awesome? Yes, it is. I mean it's in the word, right? It's in the word. How close are we to two hours, Jim? Ten minutes, ten minutes. okay. We take a break in ten minutes. Okay, after if if again in first Peter two twenty four, if he bore our sins in our own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, then we should live under righteousness, and by whose stripes you were healed. If you were healed, then my goodness, why is Christian sick? How many times does he have to tell us? There's the answer, right, young lady? (laughs) You were like sheep and you've gone astray. Isn't that amazing? That's what's wrong with us, isn't it? Oh, goodness. Now let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2. I want to show you some things in the next few minutes here before we take our break. Second Peter two says Grace and peace or second Peter chapter one verse two says Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that was called or who of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, wait a minute. Let's think about just what we just read. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through what? Through what? Through knowledge of God. How do you get knowledge of God? Through the Word. You read it. You study it. You pray over it. You dig it out. You mine it. Just like Proverbs 2 says, you mine, you dig in this book like you're mining for silver, hunting for precious treasures. And when you do that, guess what you're going to find? And when you cry out for knowledge, cry out for wisdom, say, God, I want to know. I want to know these things. Now then, guess what? Most people are not willing to fight the battles. You know what we do as Christians? We come and say, Lord, you said ask. So, Lord, I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to reveal this to me. And, Lord, I even thank you for giving me the answer. And you walk off. And you maybe be understood that ten seconds after you asked. And so you didn't get an answer. And so somebody says, well, what would you do? He so, well, I asked God for something. Did he answer you? No, he didn't hear me. Didn't tell me nothing. Well, no faith in that, was there?
4: And I, I knew that we shouldn't be, but I asked him and prayed about it for five years. When
0: he finally gave me that revelation, yeah, dying—we're we're dying prematurely. We're all
4: we're going dying, to die. Yes. Yeah, dying prematurely and dying of disease. Sure. Things, because I just knew that, you know, according to all that I had read, I knew that, that wasn't.
1: Yeah.
0: His sure, it's absolutely not. It's God's promise every time to heal you, to give you prosperity, and every—in every, other words, God died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross so that everyone would come to repentance and be saved. So what is God's will for every human being on the earth? He wants all of us to be born again. Right, Jeff? But why are so many people dying and going to hell? Well, let me ask you all all the question. How many of you all have told somebody about Jesus and done your best to lead them into the kingdom just this year? Ooh, praise the Lord. Some of you have glory. That's good. Did you know if every Christian would just lead one Christian a year, just one a year, into the kingdom of God, it wouldn't be very many years so the whole world would be born again. Did you know when I go to a church of 100 people or 200 people, when I ask that question, sometimes I'll be bold enough to say, I want everybody in here that has led somebody to Jesus in the last year, hold up your hand. And out of 200 people, you know how many hands you usually get?
1: Yeah,
0: maybe five. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. But how many people's willing to come out on Saturday afternoon, spend all afternoons hearing some crazy Baptist deacon talk about the Word of God? <laughs> I've told at
3: least, in the last two weeks, I've told at least 10 people. I actually told them about it, you know, your name and phone number and my name and phone number. Yeah. And there were people who needed help. I mean, oh, yeah.
0: But see, we don't believe God. Oh, well, I mean, I don't believe that. I mean, if I go down, there ain't nothing going to happen. You know, so they really don't believe God because they don't see these things. My wife and I was talking this morning, and I said, Honey, I said, It is awesome. It is awesome. The miracles I've seen God do in the last few years of my life. Isn't it, Ann? It is awesome. And I mean, I feel like I've just touched a corner of his garment. That's all I've touched. If I could ever get a hold of him get my arms around him, there's no telling. But there's, there's a cost to that. A tremendous cost. And most people are not willing to pay that price. I've known people that have spent hours and hours and hours praying. Like this lovely little lady right here. She prayed for five years. She finally got a revelation. See, if you're not, if you're not willing to give up and you stay in your prayer closet, sooner or later, He's going to answer you. He's going to come in there with you. And when He does, you won't never be the same. But I didn't have to stay in mine five years. I wasn't even expecting Him to come. But 23 and a half years ago, when I was sitting there reading the Word of God one night, when He spoke to me in an audible voice, He had something for me to do. And he told me what to do. And then two years later, when I was down in underneath that 20,000 pounds of steel on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock when he spoke to me the second time and told me to go do my paperwork, and I said, Lord, I'd just like 15 minutes under here, and then I'll go do it. He said, No, son, go do it right now. I said, Okay. So I crawled out, mother and stepped out and took two steps, and the supporting structure holding 20,000 pounds of steel exploded, and 20,000 pounds of steel was laying flat on the ground where I was five seconds before. Let me tell you, that will rattle your cage. You know, you got to know that God is sovereign. He had something for me to do, and there ain't no devil in hell can take me out until he finishes what he's got to do with me on this earth. But I told him right there, I said, Lord, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. You clearly told me that. I'll go anywhere, do anything, I'll, whatever you want me to do. And I have done that ever since that day. And I know that's why he's let me walk in divine health. Ever since then, because me and my family, we've had no sickness in our entire family. My wife, my daughter, my son, granddaughter, all of us have walked totally well without a problem. But it pays great dividends to serve the king. So he said he has given us, he has multiplied unto us the knowledge through the knowledge of God. And, has, and verse 3 says, according as his divine nature, he hath or has already given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So what are we praying for? If he's already given us all these things, what are we praying for? To know it. I guess. Yes. So that we get revelation of it, right? Because I don't think much of the church knows that, do you? No. Now, right there it is, in black and white. He is he according as his divine power he hath already given unto us all things, not some things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. You know what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature of God? That's holiness, that's righteousness, that's power. That's authority over the forces of darkness. Now, when you get this knowledge in you, then you become a partaker of that divine nature, and then you can walk, and when you speak in the name of Jesus, great and mighty things will happen. When you speak in your own life, sickness will flee from you. It may come and try to attach itself to you, but I'm going to tell you the way to keep it away if you will bow down and worship we're back and we're back from the break and everybody get a, a little deal to fill out so I would have a record of your name and you fill one of those out for me I hope you did and uh, uh, if if, there, if there's like these two ladies I was telling you about in uh, Waxahachie they heard me when I was on the uh, Fred Van Loo's health program on Saturday morning on uh, 660 radio and uh, I was on an hour with him and of course they heard me and Uh, They came to one of the healing schools, and uh, I guess both the ladies were healed. In fact, one of the ladies who were sitting right here were sitting, Her back was killing her that day. And when she said, my back is hurting me so bad, I just walked over to her, laid my hand on her, and I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, Jesus bore her pain so she don't have to bear it. I said, so get out in Jesus' name. And in ten minutes, she was jumping up there saying, I have no pain. And she went through the entire healing school and left and was home for two or three hours before her pain came back. Now, guess why her pain came back? Sure. The devil can't now. That when I spoke in the name of Jesus, guess who the devil knows that I know who I am? So he had to obey me because he knew I knew the word. But as soon as he got down there, she don't know the word that well. So he came back and her pain came back. Well so see, you have to learn how to fight these battles yourself, Jeff. I have some pain in my back now. You do? Yeah. You want to get rid of it?
2: Yes, sir. We won't get rid of it for a for many years.
0: In the name of Jesus, I command your pain to go away and your back to be healed in the name of Jesus. Isaiah fifty three four said Jesus bore Jeff's pain on the cross. So Satan, get out in Jesus' name. Now, Father, heal his back completely, totally. You said lay hands on the sick and they'll get royal. You told us that night in Mark chapter 16, verse 18. So I've commanded the devil to leave, and I've spoken the healing power of Jesus in him. So he's well, because it's written. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And the only thing you need to do is begin to thank and praise the Lord for your answer. And if, you, if you're walking with the Lord... If you're doing what the Lord says, if you believe Him, I still guarantee you there will be times when He will come back and put a pain on you. Let me tell you what happened to me the other day in the era of back pain. I haven't had a back pain in years. But a few months ago, three or four or five months ago, a few months ago, I was out there in my shop on Saturday morning, And as I was walking around the front of my truck to getting it ready for an inspection sticker, I come wheeling around the front of that one ton, that big old tall cattle guard bumper on it. And boy, right in the lower part of my right back, I heard just like that, an excruciating pain. And it was so bad, I couldn't stand up as I fell over the hood of my truck. I grabbed myself. Now then, I have a choice to make. The devil is standing there, and the Lord is standing there saying, what's going to come out of his mouth? The power of the tongue. Make sure you get one of those tapes on the tongue because you don't realize what you do, what you say gives the devil legal right to you. So here's what I did. sitting, Laying there over the hood of my truck with excruciating pain in my lower right back, I said, Father, I want to thank you and praise you for one more opportunity to prove that greater is he that's in me, which is the Holy Spirit, than the devil that just hit me in the back. I want to thank you and praise you that you said in James chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 1 that I am to consider all these various trials and tests pure joy because what these various trials and tests are doing is building my faith which is more precious to you than gold even though the gold be refined by fire. So Lord, I want to thank you that you said in Isaiah 53, 4 that you bore my pain. I want to thank you that you said in Isaiah 53, 5 that with your stripes I was healed. So Lord, if I... Don't have to have any pain. You bore it. And I was healed by what you did on the cross. Then that means today I'm going to stand up. I'm going to walk away from here. There's going to be no pain in my back. And I'm going to go do everything I wanted to do today. And I want to thank you, Father, for what Jesus done for me on the cross. Now then, it's done. And I pushed myself up. And I started to walk. An excruciating pain. And I just started walking off. And by the time I got the second or third step, no pain. And I've never had
2: another one. Is all for pain brought on by, by the devil? Sure. Sure. Can we bring pain on by maybe bending over and
0: picking up something the wrong way? You, you can, but you know, you have. here's the thing you've got to understand. If you'll take care of your body and you'll walk with the Lord and be obedient to it, any time pain comes upon your body, you have dominion over that in the name of Jesus. That's your choice. I've had lots of preachers even tell me, Thurman, you're crazy. Well, maybe so. But it worked for me. I just believe what Jesus said. Jesus said I could do these things. there's a lady out there a while ago talking about, uh, in fact, Bonnie. She was talking about praying and how to pray and what they were teaching her in seminary. And I'm telling you, they're teaching her wrong. You ain't going to see no miracles. And that's why they don't see no miracles. When she, you know, we, we need to command in the name of Jesus. And... You know, I mean, just here a while back, I was saying something like that to a Baptist preacher. And, of course, most of the preachers I'm associated with are Baptists. Not all. And am getting where I'm getting. in More Assembly of God, more Pentecostals. and yeah, Like here a while back, I was asked to fly to Arkansas to teach three Pentecostal pastors all day Saturday. A man bought me an airplane ticket to fly up there and teach three Pentecostal preachers the Word of God all day long. And I was blown away at how little those three men knew about the Word of God. It's awesome. Standing in the pulpit. Don't know hardly nothing. It just blew me away. But that's why we got so much sickness and disease and problems in the church. Because the men of God are not spending time on their knees begging God for information. God, i got to know how to lead this flock that you've given me. Lord, I'm going to stay in my closet till you show me the power. How do I do it? What am I doing wrong? Lord, show me. And you come out of that closet and your wife says, Do you hear from God? Not yet. But I've only been in there eight hours. I'm going back in there again. <laughs>
1: eight
0: hours? You was in that closet eight hours? Yeah, and I ain't heard from God yet. So I'm going back in there. So this time you say, I'm going in, and I'm going to stay till I get an answer. And maybe you stay two days. Maybe you stay three days. And you think, I can't stand it no longer. Mm-hmm. You come out and say, did you get an answer? No, not yet. Well, you're a dummy. He ain't going to talk to you. He said he would in his word. I'm going in there, and I'm going to stay in there until I hear from God. And when He does come in that closet, and when the light lights up in that closet, and the power of God comes in that place, you won't never be the same once it happens to you one time. You won't never be the same. But then He's going to tell you something. And when He tells you something, He's going to tell you what you have to do if you want this power to work for you. And for most of those men that have been in that closet and heard that, you know what most of them are not willing to do? And I want to do what he said. That's the problem. You don't really have to go into the closet. The answers are right here if you'll just read it. That's the problem. But we don't believe it. It's awesome. But what God will do. But you've got to believe it. And you've got to read it. You've got to act on it. And if you will, all you've got to do is proclaim his word unconditional. Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse 18, 19 and 20. In fact, I might be lying to you. Turn over there and see if I'm telling you the truth. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, 19 and 20. And let's see what he says about His promises and what they are, whether they're yes or no. Don't take what I tell you, check me out. I might tell you the wrong scripture. I once in a while get something confused. And I do make mistakes. I am not perfect. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, nineteen and twenty, in your Bibles, let's see what that does say. Second Corinthians one, eighteen, nineteen and twenty. He told us over there in second Peter chapter one, he gave us all this exceeding great and precious promises. That by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. So if you seek God and you get His knowledge, you are going to become a partaker of the divine nature of God. Wow! Isn't that awesome? That lights your fire when you get a hold of it too. I guarantee you, it lights your fire. What does He say, Jeff? What did He say? What did I, did I tell you the truth in Second Corinthians 1, 18, 19, or twenty?
2: I said, but surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Son of, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was who was preached among you and me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him it was always. It's always been yes. For for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ.
1: Ooh.
0: Is that, no matter how many promises He made, they're yes in Christ. So you can take that to the bank, can't you, Bonnie? I mean. As a young girl getting into the into the ministry, you are learning some things you can take to the bank, right, girl? I mean, let me tell you what. When you just well, we'll get on down about that. I don't want to get too far ahead of what I want to say here. I would have, yeah, I'd get on down here a little further. In verse eight of Second Peter, there. Let me read a verse to you out of that. And if you do all these things, he said, he said, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things, that we just read, if these things be in you, and abound, they shall make you, so that you shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You really meditate on those scriptures a little while and you'll see that will blow your socks off. You know, you've got you to meditate on the Word. It's hard to get it one time through because there's an enemy here, the devil, that's trying to steal it away from you.
1: Well, sir, I'm not here, but before you, just before when you started reading, it says,
3: well, where you ended reading, Did it nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Sure. Explain in plain English.
0: What, what that means?
3: Yeah. What, which portion of all things we're talking about? That? How does that really particularly...
0: It's very simple. Here's the thing. If you're walking in the world, if you're a normal Christian going to church on Sunday once in a while, maybe reading your Bible 30 minutes or an hour once in a while, and you're a young man or a young woman... And whenever you see a person of the opposite sex to you, what is the first thing that lights up in you? A sexual desire. Usually a man or a woman. Even a woman sees a beautiful, I mean a handsome, macho man, it'll even light her fire. You know, it's amazing. I mean, this is the things the devil works with. He'll just do that. Or, you'll be not have a good job or maybe not enough money, or maybe you got enough money. But you walk into a line and you walk down a cafeteria line and you think, Well, hmm, this this meal's gonna cost me four dollars and fifty cents. I'll shove these two uh three cent pads of butter in under my napkin and nobody will know it. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah. Were you
2: in line with me that day? You saw me do that? <laughs> the Lord did.
0: <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We do some of the dumbest things. Now then When you begin to get the knowledge of God in you, and you begin to get the divine nature of God in you, those kind of thoughts are totally delivered (coughs) from you. You don't even think about that. I mean, the evil things of the world, you're not even tempted with those things. You see a, a young man, you see a beautiful girl, you may look at her and admire her beauty, but you don't have the first thought about going to bed with that girl. You think, God said he's going to have me a perfect one down there someday, and it might like to be just like that one, but... Praise God. You don't sit there and dwell on it. Or you walk in the line and you think, well, let's see what I got here. Let me see. I'm going down this line. The lady checks you out and you're checking her, checking what she's doing. She said, your meal will be $4.53. And you're saying, no, no, wait, it's got to be 4 58. I got this. Oh, she said, I missed that. Oh, she said, that was only three cents. He said, that's okay. I bought it. I owe you. See, that's what you're delivered from by the divine nature of God. Because when you don't steal or anything, you give no place to the devil. So when the devil stands before God and says, now wait a minute, God, I need your brother Wayne back there. I'm going He's been doing this and he's been doing that. And let me tell you, he's got a demon looking over Wayne's shoulder all the time. Right, Wayne? He knows everything you're doing. And when you mess up, That demon comes tell the devil and the devil goes right before God and he says, Now, God, wait a minute. You know your little son down there is doing this? He Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you said he's not supposed to do that. I know. I'm going to give him a little time to repent. But the devil continues to stand there and he accuses you night and day, the scripture says. One day the Lord says, Okay. Only he knows when that day is. And the devil comes down to your house. And he makes you sick. Or he torments you. Or he kills your children. Whatever.
4: So Just, does he have to go get permission every single time he
1: pulls some kind of shenanigans?
0: Absolutely. Before? Absolutely. Yeah. Just like he did with we wanted... Over there, and I think it's in Matthew... I forget now where it is in Matthew. I can't remember right now. But it says, and the devil... Jesus said, Satan has requested Peter to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. You know what that means? Satan has requested to sift Jeff like wheat, and I'm going to let him do it. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not, because when you come out on the other side, you're going to be stronger. Why does God allow the devil, why does he allow the adversary to stay on this earth? (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: I'll tell you why. I know the answer. I mean, if you didn't have an adversary, you couldn't learn how to be an overcomer. And God is teaching His church to be like Himself. Who knows what kind of foes there will be out there in eternity to combat. Let me tell you what God may do with you one day. In eternity. In eternity. In eternity let me let me give you a scenario maybe you never thought about this we got just a little bitty tiny inkling of how big the cosmos is right I mean with all the scientists and all the uh, things they've got out there they tell us that this thing is hundreds of trillions of light years across right <coughs> hundreds of trillions of light years across but Satan has been reigning and ruling in that cosmos and he's virtually destroyed all of it and the Lord says one day he's coming and After Satan is thrown in the lake of fire, he's going to burn the heavens and everything up with fire and he's going to make them all brand new. And then we're going to go into eternity. And so one day I can just see it now. He has trained us to be faith kids because he's a faith God. And he said, and the world came into existence, and he said, and Hebrews says, and we know that the world's were formed as God spoke the words. So by faith... The worlds came into existence. So by faith, if God can speak these things, then by faith you can speak a world into existence you live in right here on this earth. You have that kind of power. Because he told you in Mark 11:23 and 24, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe with your heart, it'll happen. But we don't know that we're saying good or bad, and it's coming to pass. So one day in eternity, as we have been trained, one day I can just see the Lord and He said, Arsha, my honey, my daughter, my daughter, come up here, girl. He said, let me tell you something. He said, you've been reigning and ruling with me, my daughter, out here for a few hundred million years, and the cosmos is getting a little crowded now. We, there's a lot of people been raised now, and, and y'all are my body, and said, we need another little galaxy right over where in the north, about 200 million light years across with about 40 planets in it. Why don't you speak it into existence for me, my daughter?
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> what do you think he's training you for? To be perfect like he is. That's what he said in the Word. Who knows what we may have to do in eternity? But if you don't have an adversary and you don't overcome him, he clearly told you in Revelation 3, I believe it's verse 20. Or maybe, yeah, I believe it's 320. He said, To them that overcome on the earth, I will let them sit with me in my throne. You want to overcome Anne? You want to sit with him in his throne, right? Me too. I don't want to be under the throne. I don't want to be at the feet. I want to be in the throne or on with the king. But it has a cost. If you want to be a CEO of a company today, what does it take? A third grade education? Not hardly. It takes years of studying. You want to be the best engineer on the block? You want to be the guy that whenever a 707 or a DC-8 breaks down and you're the only man they know to call to find out what's wrong with that beast from the nose to the tail, you know what kind of hours it takes to study to know that kind of stuff about that airplane? Thousands. I guarantee I used to know a DC-862. From the nose of that beast to the tail, I could tell you where everything was in that airplane. I could tell you where every valve was, every circuit breaker, and whatever wire went to in that airplane. And if they had a problem with it, you wanted to know how something worked in that airplane, you called me. I could tell you. I got on one of those in Kennedy one day with an FAA man, and we were given a check ride. and that FAA man was telling an engineer how that thing worked, and I said, no, sir, that's not right. He said, of course that's right. I said, no, it's not, Mr. I guarantee you. I said, when, you, when we get up to uh, some altitude, whatever we're going to get up to, where we can get out of this area, I want you to get above 250 knots, and I'm going to show you what happens when you do what you said. And it's, this is what's going to happen. He said, that's not what they told me in school. I said, they told you the wrong. We got up there, and we'd done it, and guess what happened? Exactly what I told him was going to happen. He said, Mr., you know this airplane. I said, Mr., when I stand in a classroom and teach a group of engineers and a group of pilots this airplane, I don't want to make no mistakes. How many of you want to be riding in an airplane that a guy taught the guy how it worked and he taught him wrong? Well, you know what's wrong with our churches? We've got too many men standing in the pulpits that's not teaching this book. It took me thousands of hours of study to learn that airplane like that.
3: Well, Reverend, I think another thing is I think even the ones who know don't think about what they're saying and they don't say what they're meaning because they even someone... I I listen to the Word all the time. There's some really good... good Sure, sure. And somehow they keep talking about how God is sending this and God is sending this and God is sending this trial and He's sending this... And all these things God is doing, doing, doing it to you, to you, to you. And I think it it really helps me to understand when you started to talk about... How Satan works—that it's not God, because you know we—that creates a terrible turmoil in your brain because you're t- thinking God is good.
0: He is good, yeah.
3: Why is all this stuff in this world going on? And if nobody explains that it's not God doing it, that Satan has the control down here,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and, but that even with that amount of control he's got, he has to go get permission to use it, mm-hmm. and then that then that makes more sense about <coughs> how God can turn. The trial to work mm-hmm. in yours or his favor, then God sent you this trial. So to test you, sure. that just makes you feel like God's making me do this or go through this, and He's this so called good God.
1: And
0: He is. I mean,
3: no, but I'm saying that's what it would yeah. make you feel like if you don't. Until you
0: but He is allowing you to be tested. And right. He does allow the devil to do things, but He gives you a power. The thing about it is here's the thing we need to realize as Christians. It totally revolutionized my life in my study of the Lord when I found out that God was a faith God. I mean, when I learned He was a faith God, that meant that when I learned that coming to God and begging and pleading for Him to do something didn't turn Him on, it turned Him off. Now then, if you want to really turn God on to do miracles for you, the first thing you've got to do is walk holy before Him, wake up in the morning worshiping Him and praising Him and thanking Him and telling Him how much you love Him. And some people never do that. And then they wonder why the devil comes by their house and knocks their legs out from under them and makes them sick. And then they cry out to God and they don't hear from Him. Well, let me tell you, I want you to turn to a Scripture, and I want you in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 47 and 48. That's not down to where I'm at right now, but I want to go ahead and go to that. And I, since... How many of you know that Hebrews thirteen eight says, "...the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever." He never changes, right? So the same God that we served in the Old Testament is the same God we serve in the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 47 and 48. Now I want you to read that in your own Bible and then I want you somebody to tell me what that says to you. Maybe it says something different to you than it does to me. 28, what, 28 verse 47 and 48. Deuteronomy chapter 27 or 28, verse 47 and 48. Now I want you to just read that yourself silently those two verses. And then I want you, when you get it read, I want somebody to tell me what that verse said to you. Maybe it won't speak to you at all, but it sure did to me.
3: Because if you don't serve, God, to serve God joyfully uh, and say in thanksgiving during your time of success or prosperity or whatever you might have, then He's not going to help you when you're in distress. Basically, I say. you're going to be on your own and, and He's going to allow the iron yoke
0: Okay, that's what it said to Archer What did it say to you? It just
4: said that um, we need to be faithful and joyful, uh, and remembering the Lord. We need to worship him for everything that we have.
0: The abundance of all things, right? The of joyfully. Now then he says, Because you did not because you did not worship me and thank me with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things that I've given you. I will do what to you? What did yours say, young lady? What did he say he'd do to you if you didn't worship him gladly and joyfully? Uh, no. In verse 48, what did he say he would do to you? Pretty, uh, pretty bad.
1: Pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, what did, what did you, one of you guys over here, did y'all read that? What did he say, Brian?
1: Well, we talked about this the other day, so I had that revelation then, but
2: as it says in this verse, is that if you don't serve the Lord gladly, in your heart
3: uh, and with joy. That includes going to church. That includes spending time with Him in worship and praise, as you mentioned just a minute ago, getting up in the morning. Uh, and it includes tithing right. and so forth and so on that He will allow the enemy to come in
2: and really destroy you.
0: Wow! Does that give you a little revelation why some of us got so much trouble in the church? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Now, now, Thurman, you don't really think God would turn me over to my enemy and let me be destroyed? Well, I don't know. What did he say? He would. Well, okay. I believe I read the word literally. You know what that made me do when I found that verse one day? I thank him joyfully. I, I said, Lord, Lord,
1: <laughs> Lord, here I am down here. Lord,
0: <laughs> Lord <laughs> I'm serious. I could stand up in my Baptist church and say, Lord, I worship you. And all the rest of them sat back and saying, that crazy idiot, but that's okay. <laughs> the devil stays away from my house. You know, in fact, I've had men and women both that would come up after service and say, You know, I wish I could do what you do. I said, It's easy they said but you know yeah just just stand up and do it but I'm afraid somebody would say something I said that's, well, that's the problem you've got to die to self if you don't die to self forget it God can't use you you have to die to yourself if you don't he can't use you sure. sir
1: Uh, Praise the Lord Lord.
0: We may get to that in a minute Yeah, right now I can't quote that to you, Brian But it will come to me in a minute probably Yeah, Yeah, yeah. just all kinds of places in the Word I mean, if you read the Word and read it literally It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom Right? Did you know what God would have to do if he decided this lovely little daughter of his right here, he was finished with her today. If she had been doing all these bad things or whatever. He said, well, I believe I've given Ann 20 years and she's not been obedient to me. So I think I'm just going to bring her home. Guess what he could do, Ann? He could say, my daughter, come to the house. And let me tell you a story about something like that. I got great revelation that made a lot of scriptures that I used to never understand mean real things to me four years ago. Four years ago, one of my best friends in high school was 58 years old. Of course, I was 58 years old, too, at that time. And I went down to his dad's funeral. His dad was 83. And when I was there, I didn't see my friend. I said, where is, I asked one of his sisters, I said, where is so-and-so? She said, well, Thurman, you haven't heard? I said, no. Of course, I hadn't really had any contact with him the last 15 years. She said, he's in the hospital in Brownwood with a stroke. I said, my goodness, after the funeral, I'll go see him. So I drove to Brownwood and I went to see him. I walked into that room. He looked like he was 75 or 80 years old, you know, didn't recognize nobody. I mean... I stayed there. I prayed with him. i done everything. He never he never said a word. Sent him down to San Antonio, took the top of his head off, and it was full of tumors. They took some of the big ones out. The doctor sent him back to Gold's White to die. He said, except God intervene, this man's going to die. So I thought, Lord, I've learned all these wonderful things about your word. I'm going to go down there and cast that devil out of him, and I'm going to get him healed. So I went down there, <coughs> took a day off, drove down there in the wee hours of the Monday morning, and I walked in there and I met his lovely bride. Uh, he had he'd been married three times in his life, no children with any of them. But this lady had been married. I said uh, I hadn't met her, and I said, uh, "Are you so and so's wife?" She said, "Yes." I said, "How long have y'all been married?" She said, "About ten years." I said, "Well, that's good." And I said, P- uh, "Well, he was a very good man." She said, "Yes, he is." Said, "I had never been married, but it was well worth the wait." Said, "He's a great man." And I said, "Well, uh, where do y'all go to church?" And she said, the First Baptist Church in Star. I said, how often or how many times have you been? Oh, she said four or five. I said, four or five times? I said, I can't believe you've been to church only four or five times this year. I said, he used to be a youth leader. He used to be a Bible study teacher. He used to be on fire for Jesus. What happened? Oh, she said, not, not, not four or five times this year. We've only been to church four or five times in the ten years we've been married. I said, I can't believe that. I, she said, well, you don't have to go to church to serve. I said, don't tell me that. I said, Hebrews ten twenty five clearly says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis as the manner of some are, and even more so as you see the late day of the Lord approaching in these last days. I said, you need to be in the house of the Lord. Well, she said, you see, I don't believe that. Well, let me tell you, I know another critter that didn't believe what God said. And he knew God very well. And his name was Lucifer. And a few thousand years ago, he decided that he'd do it his way too. And when he did, guess what happened to him? He got cast out of heaven. And he got turned into the devil. Well, awesome, huh? You don't do it your way. You read the book and do it your God's way if you want to be blessed. So anyway... I prayed over him that day. I laid hands on him. I anointed him with oil. I did everything all day long. (coughs) I thought, he's got to be healed. And I left our late that evening and drove home. I got home that night late, and that Monday night and Thursday, he died. Sunday, I went back to his funeral. And after the funeral, on the way home, I said, Now, Lord, I want to know where I missed it. Lord, i got to know. I went down there and did everything you told me to do. You told me to go down there and cast out the demon. You told me to lay hands on the sick. You told me to pray the prayer of faith. I said, Lord, I did all those things all day long. I stayed with it. I said, Lord, did I not have enough faith? What happened in this case? And I'd wait and no answer. So I'm back. I said, Lord, now wait a minute now. Lord, you told me if I'd ask, if I would demand anything in your name, in the name of Jesus, you would show me these things. I said, Lord, I've got to have an answer. Two and a half hours later, I'm still speaking and every few minutes waiting for an answer. I didn't give up. After two and a half hours, this is what I heard. Son, you didn't miss it. Your answer is in John 15, 2. I said, wow, okay, Lord. So I flipped over to John 15, 2. You might turn over there and read that Scripture to see what it says. I got a tremendous revelation that day. I mean a tremendous revelation. This is the way I've gotten a lot of revelations from the Lord. John 15, 2. Somebody read that and see what you get out of that.
2: John 15,
0: 2. What does it say? Because i have
1: never you
2: me that bears no fruit every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even
0: more fruitful. So something like this. I am the vine and you are the branches. And every branch which is us in him, Jesus that stops producing fruit he cuts it off. And when you take a tree and you go out there and you get a limb that dies on that tree and it stops bearing fruit you just leave that sucker on there forever and let it hang. What do you do to it, Jeff? You prune it. You, prune, you cut it off. What's the Lord trying to tell you there? If the fruit is produced on the branches and we're the branches and we stop bringing souls into the kingdom, we start doing it our own way, guess what He puts you here for? To do your own thing? To make a living? To make a good, have a, be a good husband or a good wife and do your own thing? No, He puts you on this earth to bring the precious fruit of the earth into the kingdom of God. And when you stop being fruitful for him, now he's a whole lot more understanding than my company. Because if I didn't go to work next week and I didn't have a week of vacation, if I didn't go to work next week, I don't care how good a job I've done. And I don't care that I've been there 28 years. And I don't care if they know that I'm one of the best engineers they've got, and they've told me that several times. But if I stop showing up to work, guess what they're going to stop doing? They're going to stop paying me. I mean, in a week they might call and say, Hey, Thurman, what's going on? Every one of them. Don't they, young lady? Now then, how long would it take if you were self-employed or you're working for a company, if you stop producing, how long can you live? Not very long. So if God give this man 10 or 15 years before he cut him off, guess how compassionate and loving and kind the Lord must be? I don't know about you, but if somebody's working for me and he stopped producing fruit and he didn't produce no money for 15 years, I ain't going to keep him on the payroll. And it wouldn't take me 15 years, but it's you, Jeff. <laughs> no. we, a day or two, right, for us. But God is compassionate. So it, guess what? What is the message out of that Scripture? Produce, Produce fruit. fruit. <laughs> I mean, good grief. I mean, wake up in the morning loving Him, right? Wake up in the morning praising Him. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, I'll be about your business. And if you go about his business, then he'll prune you and he'll use you and you'll produce lots of fruit. And then one day, when he's through with you, who knows when that will be, one day he'll just take your breath away and say, My son, my daughter, come to the house and enjoy your benefits. I've got all these gifts up here for you now. And you're going to sit in my throne with me because you've been faithful over all these things on the earth. Isn't that awesome?
3: And then he goes on, though, and says that you cannot be fruitful without him. And then he also tells you again that whatever you ask, he'll give you if you do all these
0: things. That's right. So his promises are conditional, aren't they, Mm Arsha? Very conditional. So, but what happens to most Christians? They go to church sometimes. And most Christians don't tithe. I'd be willing, 85% of the Christians don't tithe. And that puts them under a curse. Not only a curse, but it curses them with a curse. According to Malachi 3, I don't know about you, but I don't even want to be cursed, much less cursed for the curse. Do you, Aunt? Mm-hmm. So when I go into the Lord's house, I go into the Lord's house with a gift. You know, because He told me to. And I give Him a whole lot more than 10% of my money, I guarantee you. And I'm going to tell you, that's why I've got what I've got, because I've been blessed abundantly, because I have given into His kingdom. And He tells me, give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into Your bosom, for with the same measure that you use to give, shall it be returned to you. So the man that gives sparingly, he shall reap sparingly. The man that gives abundantly, he shall reap abundantly. And which one had you rather have? Mm, That's an easy question, isn't it? But it's going to cost you first. Now then, when it comes Sunday morning and you've made $1,000 this week, and you walk in there and say, Lord, I want to joyfully give you $200 of this. Somebody say you crazy? No, I ain't. Because next week it may be two thousand dollars. Now then, yeah, Lord, I'm going to give you ten dollars this week. You give me a thousand this week, but I, oh, oh Lord, and I hate to even give you that ten. What did He say? You must give joyfully. So if you give grudgingly, guess what? What did He say He would do if you didn't worship Him joyfully? Ooh. You don't really think God would do that to me, Bonnie? Yeah. I mean, he said he would, didn't he? Now then, if you don't want that to happen... he must be pretty gracious, because how many of us don't do that? Isn't that
3: awesome to think about? And when we were on a World Vision trip to Nicaragua, and one of the people in the group asked our leader, they said, um, I, I, I need to understand more about tithing. Now, are we supposed to give 10% of our gross?" salary or our net? And he said, well, do you want a full blessing or a half a <laughs> blessing? <There you go.
0: laughs> that's very good. That's very good. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. That was a very wise person. Because the Lord clearly said, if you give sparingly, you shall reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, it will be returned bountifully. Brian? going well, to we gave
2: black.
0: Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I'm going to tell you a story that just a, a five, four, four years ago, I guess it was, or maybe it was five. I was sitting there listening to the T V N praise a And Shambok was on. And he's a great man of God. He says, uh, the Lord spoke to me last Wednesday night and said that tonight I was to give this testimony. Anybody that will give TBN $2,000 the Lord will return it to you abundantly in a very short period of time. Now, how many normal Christians even sit there and say, yeah, they just want your money, right? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God didn't speak to him. Because yeah. most of us ain't never heard from God, right? But those of us that have heard from God, we don't have a problem with that. So, I didn't have a problem with that. I said, honey, here's a chance for us to get blessed abundantly. I said, let's write a check for 2000 and send it to TBN. So, I will sit down and wrote a check out for 2000 and send it to TBN. In about three months, my wife called me one night. She said, honey, come home. Said, There's a lady wants to meet with us tonight. They want to lease a right away off the back of our place to put a gas pipeline across, and they're willing to pay us $5,000. I said, okay. So I come home, and the lady was there, and we talked. And I said, now, Lord, how much should I charge these people for this pipeline lease? And he immediately said, $10,000. I said, Whoa. I said, Ma'am, the Lord just spoke to me in my spirit. He said that I'm to charge you 10000 She said, We don't pay anybody 10000 I said, If you want mine, that's what it's going to cost because I heard the Lord. So she said, Well, we'll get back with you. And she left. My wife said, Honey, you missed it. You missed it. We could have had that 5000 I said, No, I didn't miss it because I heard God. And he said 10000 I said, She will be back. Well... About two weeks. My wife said, Honey, that lady called, wants to meet with us tonight again at 7 o'clock. Can you be home? I said, Yes, I'll come home. I walked in. The lady said, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Schrivener, what is the least dollar you will take for us to put that pipeline across our place, across mm-hmm. your place? I said, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to lower it to $9,000. I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to give you a $1,000 break. She whooped out her checkbook and wrote me a check for 9000 And as she was writing the check, I said, you came prepared tonight to pay me the ten, didn't you? She said, "Yes, I did." But my company told me to try to get it any lower than if I could. So she said, "I got a thousand off." I said you already said it. I said, "Okay." So I got nine thousand <coughs> instead of ten because I didn't stand on what God told me. Well, about three more months goes by. I come in one day. I said, "Honey, did you require request some kind of a dividend on one of our investments?" I said, "No." She said we got a cash dividend today after income taxes was paid. It said a one time cash return on one of our investments, <laughs> and the check after taxes is eighty eight hundred and twenty five dollars. I said, Hey, six months Shambok or sent TBN two thousand we got nine thousand and nearly nine thousand again. I said eighteen thousand in six months that 's pretty good return on your investment."
2: <laughs>
1: I've got a question. Yeah. God told
2: you ten
0: thousand, did you sell for nine? See, that's why I that's why I was disobedient. See, and I lost I, I lost that tithe, actually, and then turned around and gave the Lord a thousand dollars more. Sure, he does that. See, he does that. I mean I had a choice to make. See, I heard him clear say ten thousand I should have stuck to my gun, see? And see, every time I've ever done that, I, you know, you you're always blessed. But we're human. We miss God, Jeff. Lots of times He'll speak. You'll be driving down the road and something in you, and you'll call it conscience. It's really this Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit. And the Spirit will say, Jeff, you need to turn right and go down and see Brother so-and-so. Oh, I do not seen him, Lord, in three years. Lord, I don't hardly even know him no more. Or you might not even say, Lord. You just think, oh, that was just a thought. But just like a lady told me the other night, she said, I was driving down the road the other night and the Lord says something in my spirit says, Turn right here and go down and see Jane. He said, Lord, I don't hardly know that lady. But okay, I'll go see her. She said, went down there and knocked on the door. Nobody home. She said, Lord, I don't understand this. You told me to come see her. And you said, do it right now. And she's not even home. She said, well, her car's sitting there in the yard. So knocked on the door again. She said, I don't understand this. So she said, I tried the door and it was open. So I walked in and went in, and the lady was laying in the floor back there sick with her little little baby there beside her, and she had had some kind of a problem, and that lady was down and couldn't get up. She said, I got to the phone, called my uh, uh, friend. They came out, got her, and carried her to the hospital and everything. She said, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'd heard God. Amen. See, now, how many times does God speak to us and we don't do what He says? I'm too busy, Lord. I ain't got time to go by Sister So-and-So's house. I hardly know her, Lord. I ain't not seen her in three years. Yeah, she lives down there, but I ain't got time to go mess with him or her. But yet, they needed a... And, and when you do that, guess who gets the blessing? You do. You know you heard from the king. And if you're obedient to him when he speaks to you, guess what he'll do next time? He'll speak to you again because he knows you'll be obedient. And more often. And more often that's right. More often, and you'll start seeing greater and mightier things. And you say, well, Jeff's starting to pay attention now. I'm telling him to do things now. I'll use him a little more. And he may use you like he did me. I mean, years and years and years and years, the Lord would send me to one home with one or two people. And I set three to five hours and teach one or two people the Word of God. I did that over and over and over and over and saw miracles and only me and God and those people knew about. He didn't give me a ministry to stand before 10,000 like some of the big name guys. He gave them that ministry. I'm a gleaner. But he has a ministry for me. And I've been obedient to it. And I've seen lots of fruit. And I love it. I love seeing the key people get blessed. Don't you, Brian? Absolutely. Now then, Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. Let's go to there. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Wait a minute. I read that one night and I said, Lord, Ephesians 1 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath or who has blessed us already with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ? So, what are these spiritual blessings? If I've got all these things, what are they? What are one of the spiritual blessings that you might think of that's yours that He's already given to you? A Holy Spirit. What? Faith? health prosperity salvation let's go with the word after salvation healing prosperity you've been redeemed freedom and then all nine of the gifts of the spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 these are our weapons our weapons are not carnal he told us in First Corinthians 10 3, 4, and 5 our weapons are not carnal but mighty through God to pulling down strongholds right? how many of you ever use those weapons? Never used them. Woo! Never Isn't that awesome? That blows me away that He's blessed us in heavenly places with all these mighty spiritual blessings and all these weapons and He laid them out for us and most of us have never used one of them. But don't feel bad, guys. I didn't either for the first 45 years of my life. So don't feel so bad. If you're younger than that, you can say, well, I got him beat. I'm going to do it after today. So if you're 30 years old or 20 years old, you say, well, I'm going to beat him always because I'm going to hear it today and I'm going to start doing it. And he says, now then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, "...but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit." To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now then, if you don't even know what those nine gifts are, how can you pray and ask for these gifts if you don't know what they are? If you know what they are, and you meditate on those, and you believe God, you can say, Lord, you said the Spirit was given to every man, so Lord, you said these things are given by the Spirit, so I want the Spirit, I want the Word of Wisdom to work through me. Lord, I want the Word of Knowledge to work through me. Now, If you look at these things, you will find out that these nine gifts are divided into three sets of threes. One set of gifts is called the power gifts. The three gifts of power of those three in or out of those nine, which of three of those would you think would be power gifts? That's right: healing, faith, and miracles. That's absolutely right. Those are power gifts. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can get these mighty gifts of, of, of healing, of faith, and of miracles. And if you will pray and seek God for those and believe Him for those, at times He will bring those upon you and they'll manifest in your body and you'll have faith or you'll have the healing power on you or you'll see a great and mighty work. That's just like last Sunday. Last Sunday, my wife. I was invited to a home of a couple. And he used to be the vice president of Southwest Airlines. And the man had a stroke, and he was on his deathbed, and he was laying there six months ago when I was asked to come to the hospital. This man, when I walked into that hospital room, this man was laying there on a table, prostrate, with tubes and everything all over him, Doctor was standing there when I got there telling his wife, Ma'am, everything in his body has shut down. His kidneys are now failing. We will try to make him as comfortable as possible. That's all we can do. I told the lady, I said, Ma'am, have you confessed your sins lately? First I said, Ma'am, do you want him to live or die? She said, I want him to live. I said, okay. Have you confessed your sins lately? She said, why should I confess my sins? I said, because sin's what put him in that shape. Because of sin, he's laying there dying. She said, like what kind of sin? I said, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? She said, yes. I said, do you not know? He said, that sin will not go unpunished. She said, I didn't know that. I said, most people don't. But I said, he said it, and I said, do you know you and him are one? The two of you, when you got married, you became one. So either one of you, I said, and he probably has done the same thing, but he's comatose and he can't confess his sins. I said, will you confess your sins? I realize there's three or four of your family members standing here. Will you be willing to confess your sins out loud to the Lord right now in the presence of these people? She said, yes, I will. And she did. And she confessed two or three other things, too. I said, okay, now then. Come over here to his bed. The gift of faith and the gift of healing came upon me. I walked up to that man's bed. I opened my Bible. And I just laid it down just like this to Mark chapter 16. And I laid it down the side of his bed and I said, Harold, I know you can't hear me because you're comatose. But I said, your spirit can hear me. And that demon of hell that's in you that's killing you can hear me. I said, you've lost this one, Satan. I said, in the name of Jesus, I stand on Mark 16, 17, and 18. And I read it. I said, it's clear. Jesus said, in the name of Jesus, I can cast out demons. And I shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well. Was that Bible open laying there, I said, Satan... I command you to come out of him and go to the pit of hell and stay there in Jesus' name. I throwed both hands on his right arm and I said, Father, I've now laid both hands on his right arm. You said he'll get well. I said, it's done. I turned and looked her right in the eye and I said, he'll get well. I guarantee it. And I walked off. And last Sunday afternoon, my wife and I had dinner with him and his wife and he's been given a complete clean bill of health. Now, what did God tell you to do? If you will pray for these gifts and you will believe them, when that woman called me and said, Thurman, there's a man down in a certain hospital on his deathbed. They don't expect him to live through the night. Will you go down there and pray for him? What kind of a choice have I got to make? Yes or no? And when I walked into that room and I saw that man laying there, Comatose with all them tubes in him, and a doctor sitting there telling her, "Ma'am, there's nothing we can do. Everything's shut down now. His kidneys are failing. It's a matter of hours." In the flesh, what do you do? My God, what am I doing here? But in the spirit, this is a piece of cake. All I got to do is be obedient to the King, and I release His power. And I walked over to that bed, and the gift of faith came upon me, and the gift of healing came upon me, and I spoke one lion and turned around and said, He'll get well, I guarantee it, and turned and walked off. And 30 days, the man was out of the hospital, and last Sunday afternoon, six months later, we were invited to their home to have dinner with them. And the beautiful part about it is, when I sat across the table from that man, he said, "In Thurman, they've given me a complete, clean bill of health, even from my stroke. I'm totally well. I said, do you know the Jesus that I know? Because your wife said you was a Catholic. He said, I don't know him. I said, let me get your wife, get her Bible and open it to Romans 10:8, 9, and 10. And we read that. I said, do you want to know him? He said, yes, by all means, I want to know him. And I led that man to Jesus across that table. That's the greatest miracle you can do. It's lead a lost soul into the kingdom of God. If I had not been obedient to God's word and went and let the gifts of the Spirit, two of them at least, come upon me and operate through me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, that man would have died that day. And his soul would have been in hell today. That's the reason so many people are in hell today. Because men like you, and you, and you, and you, and women, and men like me, and you, and you, because we've not taken this word and taken the time to study it and go forth and let the King live through us and do His job on this earth. But when we do, boy, will He do great things through you. He says the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro on earth looking for a man. That means a woman too. He'll use anybody that let him use you. But I guarantee you'll have to die to self before you can do these things. Because the first thing the devil's going to hit you with is what if he don't get well? you're going to look like a fool. Hey, but what if he does get well? When everybody said he's going to die, guess what's going to happen? It's going to bring glory to the name of Jesus, isn't it? Hey?
3: There's a place in the Bible that says that all of these things are glorified. Oh, sure. And I've started to think about it like that because when you have that doubt, it's like okay I you know that doubt is about myself yeah. because I know that God I mean I know God can do anything. He can turn Satan up, to upside down and say no more
2: That's or
1: right.
3: anything else that he decides to do. Uh and so I I've, I've started to think about that remember <clears throat> God will do it not for you but in the name of Jesus he'll do it to That's glorify sure. himself. That's
0: right. Yeah. For example, when, you, when you said what you said about God could do what he wants to with Satan, right now God can't do that. Right now he cannot. Because see, when, man, when God gave the earth to man, he gave it to man for 6,000 years. And we gave the lease that we had away to the devil. So the devil has legal right to the earth. Now then, if God were to step in and crush the devil and completely kick him out, he would go above his divine word, and that would make God a sinner. So he can't do that. He can't do that. So he'll not deal unjustly or unjustly, even with Satan. Isn't that amazing? That Satan has gained legal access to the earth and has become the god of this world when we're supposed to become the gods of this world. He originally designed us and created us and gave us this earth and said... Clearly told you in Psalms eighty two six that you were made the gods of this world, and then told you again in John ten thirty four that you were the gods of this world. He made you the gods of this world. We were supposed to reign and rule over this earth as the gods of this world. Yes, Brian. Is it
2: also somewhere in scripture that because uh, we have threefold, I three parts—body, soul, and
0: spirit—right spirit, that
2: we?
1: Over Satan and too because he
2: doesn't a body. The, the
0: only body he has is ours. Right. That's right. And he, he, as a spirit being, this spirit realm that we are in, the battles between the spirit realm and the earth was given to us and the only devastating things that Satan can do to this earth is when he can do it through a human body. If he can't get in a human body, he's totally powerless. He's totally powerless. He's got to deceive somebody to get in a human being to be able to do devastating things to human beings, when he gets inside of a human being, I mean, he can. When he gets legal right to a human, he can get in a man, and and people wonder, don't understand this. Most people don't. Just like my wife and I was sitting there one night watching television, and a man had been caught that had raped his three-year-old little daughter. And my wife, I mean, she she was looking at this guy. And this woman, when she was asking the man on the show, says, Why in the world would you do such a devastating thing to your own three-year-old daughter? And this guy's on television talking about this. And he kind of smiled and he said, It just feels so good. This was on TV? That was on TV, yeah. My wife said, Honey, I don't understand. I said, Honey, you don't understand the spirit realm. That man has a demon of lust. That demon is what causes that man to do that. And that man, that demon came into that man because of sin. Somewhere, either in his life or in his parents' life, somewhere down the line, that demon got legal right. And when that demon came into that man, that man has no control over that demon as long as that sin's there and he don't know what it is. He thinks it's his own flesh that's causing the problem. And so we're going to lock that man up. And if I could sit down with that man, and I could tell him what's available to him, and I could get him to repent his sins, of his sin, and I could cast that demon of lust out of him and kick that beast out and send it to the pit of hell, I said that man would be in total remorse for what he's done and couldn't believe he'd done what he'd done. Most of these things, the Lord Himself has given me direct revelation on these things. He has told me why and how these things work. And that's how I've got this revelation. So, as the Lord has shared these things with me, I've seen young men and young women. I've seen a young man, and I've told this story many times, a young man that had a demon of alcohol. He didn't know what it was. He could not stop drinking. He was a young man, 25, 26, 27 years old. He couldn't stop. I mean, he just didn't understand why. One night his wife told him, said, if you can't stop, you've got a demon. And when she told him that, that guy literally... He had already been drinking, it, but he went berserk, and a demon manifest, and that kid began to tear up the house and everything else. I was called at work that night. I was still there working on a program, 9 o'clock, and this woman called. She said, "Termin, you've got to come to our house. My son-in-law's tearing the house down. I said, well, you know it's a demon. I said, take authority. She said, I've tried everything, and nothing works. I said, you've got to get here. I said, Okay. So I run out to my truck, and on the way out there, I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I demand that you tell me how you got in this young man. And I got out there to my truck, and I hit the starter, and it won't start. And I, st- and I, r- I run the battery down, and it won't start. I called one of my truck guys. I said, get out here and give me a jump. Yeah, i got to find out. I said, I've checked this truck. It's getting fuel, and it's getting gas, and it's getting everything, but it won't crank. He come out there, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried. <clears throat> I finally I said, I know what's wrong with this truck. The devil don't want me out there. I backed off and I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, get your filthy demon off of my pickup in Jesus' name. I said, now it'll start. I went in and hit the start. The first time he turned over, it started. <laughs> See, we don't understand the demons of hell. So then I jumped in my truck and he didn't want me out there. I got out there as soon as I got there, 30 minutes away. I walked up on that place and said, in the name of Jesus. And that boy was immediately subdued. Went to a bedroom and locked himself in there. And I said, now then, I've got to know what happened. And this woman began to tell me what happened. I said, "You know that was a demon of hell." Uh, she said, "Yes, I know it." But she said, "I tried, and I commanded him to leave, and said he said to me, "You have no authority here, woman, because you don't know where it's found in the word." I looked at her and I said, "Do you know one place in the word of God that gives you authority over the devil?" She said, "Well, I've heard you teach it in Sunday school class." I said, "That's not what I ask you." I said, "Do you know a scripture?" She said, no, I don't know where it's found, but I know it's thin there. I said, isn't that amazing? The devil knew you didn't know. I said, now then, what else did he say? She said, well, when I also told him he had to leave, he said, I have all kinds of legal right here, because Jack, this is the boy talking, using his own name, he says, Jack and Jill, talking about the girl, let me in before they got married. I said, oh, okay, young woman. You and that boy had sex before you got married, didn't you? Well, she said, well, everybody's doing that. What's wrong with that? I said, it opened the door and your husband got a demon, that's what. I said, I know what's wrong with him now. I said, I commanded the devil to tell me what was going on. And now I now know. I said, in the morning, I'll be back out here. He'll be sobered up. I said, I'll be here in y'all's kitchen at 7 o'clock. Have him up. 7 o'clock, I walked in that house. I said, son, I know you sinned against the Lord. I said, you're a Christian? He said, yes, sir. I go to a Baptist church, and I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. I said, all right. I said, you and this girl had sex before you all got married. He said, well, yes, we did. And I said, you must, both of you all, must confess that it's sin to the Lord. I said, Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 20 clearly says any kind of sexual immorality puts you under a curse, and the demons are the ones that fulfill the curses. So anytime any boy and any girl have a sexual relationship outside of a marriage Sir so after a marriage ceremony, they're opening a door to a demon and you don't never know what kind's gonna come in. It could be alcohol, it could be nicotine, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, it could be AIDS, it could be anything, but you've opened a door. I said, Were you willing to confess your sin to the Lord? He said, I sure will. I said, Then after you both did it, I want you to tell that demon you don't want him. And they did. I said now then after he said I looked right at him I said Satan I'll not have any manifestations I'll not have anything any activity from you in the name of Jesus you no longer have legal right the sins have been confessed I said out and you'll the pit of hell and stay there in the name of Jesus I said now son you'll never drink another drop of alcohol and to this day he's not had another desire for another drink of alcohol but until that day he could not stop drinking I'm going to tell you the spiritual realm Whenever people will say, just like a woman told me the other night, she said, you know, a, a, an Assembly of God pastor a few years ago got on twenty twenty and stood before the world and said, I guarantee you a Christian can't have a demon.
1: <coughs>
0: I said, I'm going to tell you I'd like to follow that man's life because I'm going to guarantee you he has committed some kind of a gross sin that I guarantee that there was a demon in him when speaking. She said, I'm going to tell you you're right on. Because a few years later, that man was caught fondling a 14-year-old girl in his church. Did he have a demon? Yes, he had a demon. Anytime anybody will stand and tell you a Christian cannot have a demon, chances are you got one. And that's who's speaking out of your mouth. Who do you think it is that makes you sick? The devil. Isn't that awesome? What should all these things make us want to do as born-again believers? Walk holy before the King. Why do you think He told you to walk holy? Why do you think He told you, Don't even go to bed angry at night, lest you give place to the devil? But do we believe that? Nah, if we can get mad at our mate and go to bed. I mean, we can be madder in hell itself. You know, I ain't never going to let that man touch me again. I ain't never going to buy that woman another ring. I mean, who does she think she is? I've, be- I've been a good husband to her for 15 years, and she wouldn't even come home and fix me supper last night. I'm so mad tonight, I ain't even going to sleep in the same room with her. I, I know you all never seen anybody ever done nothing like right. that. No, 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 nobody ever done nothing like that. And you all are just like me. You're liars too. (laughs) Because we're all human, right? We've all done them stupid things, you know, good grief. But when you learn these things, guess what you stop doing? You stop doing that nonsense because of the knowledge of God. You change. Now then, if all these spiritual blessings are ours, and that's what they are, and we get these three power gifts, which are miracles, faith, and healing... The three vocal gifts are prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And the three revelation gifts are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And without these weapons, the devil will kill you. Why do you think God gave you all this? Well, can you say the power gifts are miracles, faith, and healing. The power gifts are miracles, faith, and healing. The vocal gifts are prophecy, tongues, and an interpretation of tongues. That's the vocal gifts. Then the revelation gifts are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Now, how many times I don't even know myself when I would be somewhere or something and the Lord would give me a word? A word of knowledge. Like, for instance, I'll give you an example. Sitting in a church several years ago in a Baptist church on the front row... And all of a sudden, the Lord said, Martha. I said, Martha? Lord, I don't know anybody by the name of Martha. But yet I heard that word just as clear as a bell. So I sat there about five minutes and I hear, Martha. I said, Lord, Martha, who is Martha? Hmm. Can't think. A few minutes later, Martha. I said, Lord, 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 i got to have some more information. I mean, Lord, I don't know. I mean, i am almost been up down on the front pew now. You know, Lord, I don't know a Martha. But I have a word of knowledge. And about this time, the pastor says, we need to close the service. Before we close, I want you all to pray for my sister. She's losing her kidneys, and her name is Martha Scott. Guess what? I've got a word of knowledge. I know what to do. I tell the Lord, tell the man what to do. And guess what? That Baptist preacher didn't do with what I told him to do. He didn't tell his sister. So, guess what happened to his sister? She lost her kidneys. Then, finally, a few months later, she got a transplant from her dad, which was about my age then. It's been about five years ago. He was 61 years old. And he was the only one they could find that had a match. And they took a kidney out of him, put in her. And about three months later, that one shut down. And she was dying. She was down there in the hospital, virtually terminal. And I was sitting at church that night, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just picked me up out of my seat and took me down to the front. And when I got to the front, when I walked up in laid, I didn't know what was going on. I literally didn't know what was going on. I walked up to Tanner, and I just walked up and put my left hand on his right shoulder. And when I did, the Lord says, Call this church to pray for Martha Scott right now, and I'm going to heal her. He said it just like that, too. He didn't say, now, son, if you want to. I mean, he rattled my cage. I just jumped up on the podium up there. I just, I mean, I just, I mean, I've got a word now from the Lord. I jumped up and I said, The Lord just spoke to me. He told me to call this church to pray for Martha Scott, and he's going to heal her. I said, You want to see a miracle tonight? I said, Come down here, do something. Nobody hardly moved. I said, look, if you want to see a miracle, come down. If you don't, get out the back door. But I said, if you want to see a miracle of God, come down here and pray. And so they began to move. And so we prayed about 15 minutes. When I knelt to pray, I heard the voice of the devil as clear as I've ever heard him. My pastor broke into a violent crying. The devil said, listen to him. You've made a fool out of this church. Nobody will ever come back here again. You are such a fool. I said, devil, I heard God clear. And I did exactly what my king told me to do. I said, get out in the name of Jesus. And after about fifteen minutes of praying, I stood up. One of the older men there come up and said, Thurman, the Word of God says go lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. I said, that's absolutely right. In Mark sixteen eighteen, he said, let's go down to that hospital and lay hands on that girl. I said, all right. Now, what's the Lord doing? He's working in more than just one. This old gentleman, I said, let's go. Pastor said, I want to go with y'all. And Ed Buchanan said, let's take my van. And six of us got in that van. We drove down to that hospital. We walked up that hospital at 9 o'clock all night on Sunday night. And I, this lady said, what are you guys doing up here in this ICU ward this time of night? I said, we come down here to pray for Martha Scott. She said, well, I, I can't let but just one or two of y'all in there. I said, okay, that's all we need. We went in and I knelt beside that bed and opened my Bible, read a few scriptures that girl, reached over and laid my hands on her and asked the Father in the name of Jesus to heal her. We walked back out there, went out. Her daddy was out there, a Baptist preacher. Her brother's a Baptist preacher and several other friends and five of us other guys. And we met in another room. We praised and worshiped and thanked the Lord for a half hour. Got in that van and drove back to Justin, worshiped and praised the Lord for his healing all the way back home. And the next afternoon I called. I said, Martha, I said, Martin, how is Martha. He said, Thurman, the doctors don't understand. Said, her account's changing so fast. We just don't understand. I said, shucks, I figured she'd be out of the hospital by now. <laughs> but I knew she's on her way to her healing. Because I had a word from God. I had a word of knowledge. I know it can't miss. God's in this thing. So I just began to praise Him and thank Him. Wednesday night when I walk in church, guess who's sitting there? Martha Scott. Only sermon. Oh, and it was pretty short. But it was the only sermon on healing I ever heard a Baptist preacher preach. But that and preached a little one that night. But it wasn't but about five minutes that he preached for them. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. What, what happens when you pray for the, the, this, we, this weapon? Our weapons are these mighty things, the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, if you're not asking for these things, you need to be on God's doorstep reading these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 over and over and over. Say, Lord... Empower me with these gifts. I want these things. I make myself available to you, Lord. Use me for your glory. Amen. Now then, if you ain't out there asking Him, guess what He's not going to do? <coughs> he said, well, Bonnie, you don't even know that they're there. So if I was to put a word of knowledge on her, she wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But if you're studying and you're learning and you know what these are, and all of a sudden, He gives you one of these things. You say, wow, Lord, we're going to see a miracle now because I know what's happening to me. And those gifts. Now, if you ain't got them gifts, you're powerless against the devil. That devil will beat up on you. Now, how do you get these gifts? How do you think you would get these gifts? Ask for them. Boy, was that a hard one, huh? Ask, but ask in faith. No wavering. Lord, would you please give me the gift of healing? Lord, oh, oh Lord, I know, I know. I, that you probably, oh Lord, I don't think you could probably do that to me, but if you could, would you please? He says, Oh, 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 my lads, girl, there ain't no faith in that. Now you read his word and say, Lord, woo, look here, daddy, what I found right here, dad. Look here, dad. And you made, woo, Lord, you made all these statements for me right here, woo, Lord. All the, I, Lord, I'm available. Use me. I mean, I know you're real and you told me the Spirit will do these things. You told me to ask in faith. So, Lord, I'm asking in faith. Now then, look what James 1, verse 6 and 7 says that when you ask, if you don't ask in faith, let's see what happens. James 1, 6 and 7. See what the Word says. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. When you get over to James 1, 6 and 7, it says, But when you ask, you must ask in faith nothing wavering, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man or woman think that he or she shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, you think it's important to have faith? You think it's important to know what you're asking for when you ask God? Because if you go to Him begging and pleading, what are you going to get from Him? Nothing. Nothing. Why do you think most of the church don't get anything from God? Because they don't know how to ask in faith, isn't that amazing? Now then, Hebrews eleven six. Look at this. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does it mean to be diligent? Never-ending ending. Never drive. Never so what? What do you? How many Christians do you know that are diligent? You know many, Jeff? You. You're thinking. Huh? Wow. you got to think. <laughs> if you've got to think, that means you don't know many. Right, Brian? Yeah. But if you, ca- if you can't please God without faith, if it's impossible to please Him without the knowledge of the Word, and you're not diligently seeking Him, guess what you're going to get when you come and ask Him for something? Nearly nothing. Nearly nothing. In Hebrews 10, 38, it says, "...now... The just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. Who is the just? We are. We're the just. We're just as if we had never sinned. We're the just if we're in Christ. If the just shall live by faith, it means the just shall live by the Word of God. Now, if you don't know the Word of God... How can you live by it? But if you know it, then he says, even then, if you don't live by it, you don't please me. And if any one of you draw back, I have no pleasure in you. He's training us to be overcomers, isn't he, Jeff? He wants us to be overcomers. Hebrews 11:6. Oh, uh, Hebrews 10:38. Yeah, Hebrews 10:38. There, here's some conditions that must be met to be healed and causes of sickness. How much time we got left, Jim? 40
1: minutes.
0: How many? 40. forty minutes. Okay, forty minutes. Good. Huh? Conditions that must be met to be healed and causes of sickness. That's what I titled this line right here. Sin brings sickness. Romans five twelve. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, what brings sickness? Sin. Sure. Deuteronomy twenty eight fifteen. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Awesome, isn't it? If you but it shall come to pass if you put your name right there, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, what is the voice of the Lord? that's it somebody says well I've never heard the voice of God I said let me let you hear it right now and I reached down and get my Bible and I say the first father has sinned and the teachers have transgressed against me I said you just heard the voice of God that was hard wasn't it open it and read anywhere you want to and you can hear the voice of God right there it is every bit of it now it's nice when he speaks to you in an audible voice that really is nice but you can hear his voice any time you want to. Just open the word and read it. Because that's him. Him and the word are one. Now it says in Deuteronomy twenty-eight twenty-two, it says, The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption, and with a fever, and with an inflammation, and with an extreme burning, and with a sword, and with blasting, and with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until you perish. Now that's if you do not serve the Lord put him first. So what's going to happen to people that don't serve the Lord? Somewhere along the line, sickness and disease is going to come upon your house. Psalms 107, verse 17. Now, we talking about we're talking about everybody. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll do the same thing to his kids today. I'm going to yeah, tell you...
2: That's what I'm saying. Though. We're, we're talking about the, the children of God. That's right. The, we're, this not, was... we're talking
0: about the non-believers. Now, the non-believers are not God's children. Those kids are going to the devil's. They're the devil's kids, and who knows what's going to happen to them. Well, they're living in the devil's world, and the devil's going to come upon them, I guarantee you. But now I'm going to tell you something you can do as a Christian. As a Christian, you can go to church every Sunday, and you can tithe every Sunday, and you can still not meet the requirements in the Word, and the devil will still come upon you, and sickness and disease will come to your house because you've not worshiped Him, because you've not praised Him joyfully. Because you've not read the Word. Because you've not asked for the gifts of the power of the Spirit that's available to you. Because you've not went out and done what He told you to do. His very last commands when He left this earth was go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Lay hands on the sick, cast out the demons. And how many of Christians have done that? Not very many. Why? Because we're rebel kids. You know anybody's got any rebel kids? Sure we do, don't we? Now then, when you've got kids living in your house, if those kids, if you've taught them right and they've been obedient and done what you asked them to do and they just always do what mom and daddy asked and they respect you, they always talk nice to you, and they do anything for you, what will you do for those kids? You'll do anything for them kids you can. It's unfortunate. A lot of times we do things for them even when they're meaner than the devil himself. Because we love them, right? Unfortunately, we do. But you know, when they're obedient, you love doing things for your kids, right? I do mine. I mean, it's just like my son. He's a good boy, twenty-six years old. He's still struggling to get through college. He likes about a half a semester, I think, being through a few hours. And he called his mama this week and said, "Mom, how long have this mattress that I've been sleeping on? How long have we had this?" She said, "Well, I don't know, son. For sure," said your uh, your grandmother. Gave that to your dad when he was a young boy and said she had it redone. So it's got to be at least 40 or 50 years old. And he said, well, it's getting where it don't sleep too good. She said, son, tell you what we're going to do. I'll run right down here to the store and I'll buy you a brand new springs and box, mattress and box spring. All you've got to do is go down to the store you pick up and pick them up. And when your kids are good, when you know they've got a need, what do you do for your kids? You love them, don't you, Anne?" Sure, you do anything for your children. All they got to do is say what they need, and you go take care of it. Now, then, when they get out of school one day, you know, and they're making their own money and everything, then it's time for them to take care of their children when they come along, right? That's the name of the game. So, that's what you do. Now, then, In Psalms 107, verse 17, the Lord made a very awesome statement. Psalms 107, 17, he said, Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Wow. Hmm, That's awesome. Deuteronomy 28, 58. If, put your name right here, if you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make your plagues. Now, in the King James, the word used there is wonderful. I don't know how they translated it like that because I went and read that word in the Hebrew and it means terrible. So, it will make your plagues wonderful. And the plagues of your seed, even great plagues, and of long continuous and sore sicknesses, of and of long continuance. That's all because you didn't serve him, because you didn't love him. So what are we trying to learn from here? Don't be rebels, right, Jeff? It is, it is kind of rattles your cage, don't it? Most Christians ever read these things, right? If they did, they just kind of flippantly read over it. They didn't really mean believe it meant what he said. And then that Deuteronomy 28, 47 and forty eight we read a while ago. Wow, that's scary. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. What does that mean? How many of you people come in, and I hope none of you do, but I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hand, but how many of you people would come in to a beautiful meal and just sit down and start gobbling it up like a pig and never even say, Thank you, Lord. I know none of y'all ever done that, did you? (laughs) I hope not. But I'm in a restaurant, Thurman, and then people might think I'm crazy. Who cares? Who are you afraid of, them or the king? I don't know about y'all, but I ain't afraid of them at all. But I'm very afraid of the king. Because I would like to live a long, blessed life. And I've learned it's dependent upon my obedience to his word. Then he says, listen to Mark 2. Mark 2, verse 4 says, And when they could not come near unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Which means he had to forgive the sin. And he forgave the sin because of what? The faith of the friends. Can you... Their four friends came and brought this boy to Jesus. And because of their faith... Now, what kind of faith does it take when you can't get into the house? You crawl up on top of the roof and you take the shingles off. And you take a board off or whatever. And you take ropes and you let this boy with a palsy down through the roof. Right down on the floor, right in front of Jesus. And he looks up and he sees this boy coming down as he's seeing little pieces of stuff fall off the roof. He said, "You guys got great faith. You know what? Because of you guys' faith, son, your sins are forgiven. So take up your mat and walk." And he healed him. What kind of what kind of faith does God honor? Great faith. How many of you would be willing to do something like that? Hmm? Hey, you're getting there, aren't you? You're getting there. You want to see the glory of God? If you'll do these things, you'll start seeing it. But it won't come without a cost. He said his sins are forgiven. Now let's go on over here and let's go to John 5.14. This is a scary one too. John 5.14, it says, "...afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, you are made whole, or sozo, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you." Now what's that telling you sin will do to you? If you get healed and you go back into your life of sin, what will come back to
1: you? Worst.
0: A worse thing. A worse thing. But well, we don't believe that, do we? we do. You do. Good. I hope so. It's a terrible lesson. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. So do what to your faults? Confess them. Confess them. Matthew 18.21 Matthew 18.21 now, this is an awesome scripture here of why we have sickness and disease. Matthew 18:21. Uh, you can just write these scriptures down, 18:21 through 35, and I'm going to paraphrase them right quick for you in the interest of time. Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? He said, no, Lord, not seven, but 70 times seven. And Peter, this is why it's so important that you forgive 70 times seven because this is the way the kingdom of heaven is. There was a king that had a kingdom, and he had servants. And one of his servants owed him a debt of 10000 talents, or $10 million. And he couldn't pay. So because he couldn't pay, he called that man in and said, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children and your lands and your houses and all that you own to pay the debt. Now, who's going to have to pay the price of this debt? Everybody in the family, including their houses, your bank accounts, your lands, your cars, everything, right? Everything. That's a devastating thing when you see that. And it says the man couldn't pay, so he fell and he began to worship the Lord and ask him to give him time. Very critical word there. He fell on his knees and worshipped. When he worshipped, the Lord, the master said, Okay, because you have asked me, I will forgive you the entire $10 million debt. Go out. You don't owe me a penny. Boy, that's a picture of our salvation. When we come to Jesus, that's what He's done for us. But it says that servant went out and found another little brother that owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred lousy dollars or something like that. Nothing. And it says he ran up and grabbed the man around the neck and began to choke him. And the man fell down. He says, be patient with me and I'll pay you. He said, no, I will not. I'm going to throw you in jail until you pay me that $100 debt. And he had the man throw in jail. And he said, the other servant saw what happened. They went back to the master and they said, Master, this is what that servant did. He said, bring that servant in here. That servant came in. He said, you wicked servant. Didn't I forgive you that huge debt just because you asked me? Shouldn't you have at least done likewise to your brother that owes you that little dinky debt? Now, because you did not forgive him that... I'm not going to forgive you that huge debt, and not only are you still going to owe me the ten million, but I'm going to turn you over to the torturers, and you're going to be tortured until you pay me every penny you owe. Who do you think those torturers are? Who do you think they are? Sure! The demons of hell. And then in verse 35, Jesus said, Peter, this is the way... My heavenly Father will do each one of you if you do not forgive everybody from your heart. Pretty devastating, isn't it? So would you hold a grudge against anybody after today? Absolutely not. Under no conditions. And if I've got an unforgiveness towards somebody, what am I going to do right now? Ask the Lord to forgive me and go find them after a while and get right. Right? because the Lord did you know I have ministered to many people in the last five years most of them have been men men that were on their deathbeds and when I got there I found out they had gross unforgiveness towards somebody or several people very rarely a woman once in a while a woman but most of them were men and when I found out their sins I said are you willing to confess your sins well he said, yes. I said, it's up to you. If you will, you'll live. If you don't, you're going to die. So you've got a choice to make. You're going to live or die, depending on whether you confess that sin or not. I think of one man four years ago. That man, he said, yes, yeah. he'd been given two months max to live. And if they do surgery on him, he's going to have a zero to a 10% chance to live through surgery. That's not very good, is it, Jeff? 50-year-old man. So he confessed all of his sins. I laid him in a prayer, confessed all of his sins. And he said, I said, who do you hate the worst? He said, my mother. I said, I don't want to know what it is, but will you make God a promise after you ask Him to forgive you? Will you go and will you get right with your mother? He said, yes. I said, well, if you don't, you're going to die. It's your choice. So we went through the prayer. We did all the things. I said, now then, did you mean everything you said? He said, yes, I did. I said, only you and God know. But if you told me the truth, I said, there's one thing we've got left to do. He said, What's that? I said, i got to lay my hands on you and pray for you, and the Lord will heal you. So I laid my hands on him. I said, Father, it's written in your Word. It's done because he's healed. And then two of the gifts came upon me. Vocal gifts. Prophecy. This came out of my mouth. Just, it was wild. You have now been obedient to everything the Word says to do. Because you've been obedient to the Word, tomorrow you will go through your surgery. You will come through the surgery with flying colors. You will be well, or you will go home from this hospital in three weeks. And in two months, you will go back to work. And as long as you'll live in, in a loving relationship to all people, the Lord will let you live to be an old man. You see how the gifts come, happen? But you've got to make yourself available to the Lord to use you for that, or He won't use you. I ask Him, Lord, use me any way you want to. Lord, use me for all these things. I just want to be used for the glory of God. Well, I walked out of that hospital room and got about a, a, a hallway down the corridor down there and came back into the flesh. And I said, Lord, what did I say to that man? It took me that long to realize what I said. I said, Lord, that had to be you because I sure don't know those things. The next day, that man went through eight hours of surgery and the last time I checked, he is the only man in Baylor Medical over yonder in Garland or wherever that is off over there, Richardson, wherever, somewhere over there in northeast Dallas, He is the only man that's ever lived with a tumor on his esophagus that big through surgery. Only one. I went back a week later to see him. A doctor was in that room. He said, son, it's just like our hands were divinely guided. He said, I've never took a tumor off that big and it come off that easy. He said, never have we ever had a guy live that had a tumor that big on his esophagus. But in uh, three weeks, he went home to the hospital. Two months, he went back to work, just like he said. And he went and got right with everybody. And a year later, last time I checked with him, he was still on fire, loving God, and going and totally well. But two more men I went to this last year. And both of those men could not forgive. One of the men, when I told him, I said, Mr., you're going to die if you don't forgive this man. He said, you don't understand what this man's done. I said, I don't care what he's done. But if you don't forgive him, you're going to die. He said, I'll have to think about it. (laughs) and I said well don't think about it too long well a week came and went and he didn't think about it and he died and the other man when I went over there he said he confessed his sins I said you don't sound too sure to me what is that discerning of spirits I said it sounds like y'all are not telling me the truth and I looked at his wife and said ma'am are you sure y'all got your sins confessed she looked at his brother she said well there was a problem but it's okay now I said okay Y'all can tell me anything. But you can't lie to God. I prayed. I said, now I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to pray for your husband. And if y'all lied to me, he's going to die. And if you told me the truth, he's going to live. I prayed for that man. And the next day he died. I sent the man that sent me over there. I said, go over and find out what's wrong with that family. I said, I knew they lied to me. I knew they lied to me. He came back to see me next day. And he said, Thurman, the mother died three months ago. One of the sons drew $800,000 out of her bank account and put in his bank account illegally. There's a lawsuit between the whole family. I said they really had forgiven, hadn't they? Uh, Was that money going to do him any good? No, not a bit. Amazing, isn't it? We don't believe God. No. I mean, how much clearer could Jesus be? In Matthew 18, 21 through 35. How many of you all have ever read that verse? How many of you ever had understood what that said? That if you forgive, he'll turn you over to the devil, to the jailer, to the torturers, to the tormentors, if you don't forgive everybody from your heart. Have we not thought about that? Is that what he said? Or am I the only one that got that out of that? That's what he said. Wow! I could, I wouldn't hold a grudge against anybody for anything at all, would you? <coughs> no. Read that close sometime, Jeff. I mean, really so, let that soak into you. I read that a lot of times before that finally came through to me. And when it did, it was as clear as it could be. That's awesome. Now I know why people die. I want to show you something that happened in, in, in Numbers chapter 12. How much time we got left, Jim? Uh, about 20 minutes. Still got 20 minutes, okay. I'm talking fast now. We're covering a lot of ground. Numbers chapter twelve. I want you to look at this. This is kind of scary when you look at this. And and Moses in uh, a uh, number chapter twelve verse one, it says, And Marion and Aaron spake against Moses." Have you ever spoken against anybody? But this man was a man of God. They spoke against. Marion and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. They didn't like it because he married a lousy Ethiopian woman. I mean, who was married to her? Moses was. Who's he trying to please? Moses. I mean, after when your kids marry somebody, I mean, usually they, why did you, young man, why did you marry this girl? Because you loved her. Good grief. I mean, So your mama might not like it, or your daddy might not like it, but your daddy and mama didn't marry her, did they? You did. So that's what we we ought to look at when our kids go to get a mate, we ought to kind of direct them that they'll get a a holy one, one that's a born-again Christian, and direct them that way. But whichever one they find, it's going to be them that's going to spend their life with that person, not you. So let them be happy. But Marian and Aaron wasn't happy. Well, they spoke against Moses because of this Ethiopian woman he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And guess who heard that? The Lord heard that, the Scripture says. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which roamed the face of the earth. You know what meekness means? You know what that word meek really means? I've heard of many a Christian talk about meekness and they think that's weakness. That's not what that says. Meekness is power under control. That's what meekness is. What happened when Moses spoke in the name of the Lord? What happened to the sea when he spoke to the sea? What happened to it, Jeff? It opened and they went through on dry ground when he led them around out there in the wilderness for 40 years, when he spoke to the rock. Can you imagine a rock splitting open and a river big enough to come out of there to water 3 million people? Let's take the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. That's what Moses was leading. It doesn't make much sense until you think of the congestion On the highways, and there's about three million people in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, and one man was leading those people. He was feeding them, clothing them, and providing water and food for their animals every day for 40 years. What a job, huh? What kind of power does it take to speak that kind of stuff into existence, Jeff? Only Only God. That's right. And it says here, Moses was the meekest man because he spoke God's word and these things happened. And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Marian. Come out, you three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and he called Aaron and Marian. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall be he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Mm. And the anger of the Lord... "...was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Marian became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Marion, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto the Lord, Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned, let not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech you. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, And the people journeyed not until Marian was brought in again. Did she have to suffer the consequences for a week? You ever wonder why that didn't happen to Aaron? Both of them spoke against the Lord. You ever thought, I used to think about that. Lord, why is that? Why is it that both sinned the same way, but only she got the leprosy? Good question, huh? Huh. Like Moses? Like no Aaron? sin and no sickness came upon Aaron because he was the high priest but the day that God took him up on the mountain and had Moses remove his garments what immediately happened to Aaron when his protective garments of the high priest was removed and placed on his son anybody know? He died instantly. He died instantly. He had no leprosy because he was covered because he was under the protection of the office of the high priest. But Marion was not. And the leprosy fell upon her. The demons of hell came upon her, but they couldn't touch Aaron until his garments was removed and placed on his son. And when they were placed on his son, it says, Instantly, Aaron died. Is it a good deal to sin? Is that something that was in throughout the Bible? Was the uh, garments
3: that protected? Was it always a garment? The
0: office. That office is an office of protection against the forces of darkness. There's no two ways about it. You know, when God puts a man in that position, he never withdraws that authority that that man has. And so, even if the man sins, he has still have somewhat protection. That's what the Lord tells us today. He tells us we're not speaking evil about the servants of the Lord in the church, even today. But a lot of us do. We say a whole lot of things we shouldn't. Our tongue gets us in lots of trouble. Okay, but
3: now, uh, again, also, when we... This... This is literally, is this literally God who struck her
1: with the leprosy? He backed the off. the
3: who killed Aaron, or again,
0: is he using Satan? He's using Satan, of course. But the instant he stepped up back, guess who'd come in? That's just like when God, when Moses brought the twelve, when Moses brought the two tab- tablets of stone down with the Ten Commandments on them, and God told him, he said, go down into the camp. There's a, there's a party going on down there in the camp. And he got down there, and what was they doing? every horrible thing we won't even name it that's right every horrible thing you can imagine worship of calves and and, and everything every sin it just names them all and it says Moses was so angry he threw the tablets down and in his anger immediately the death angel swept through there and before they could pray and stop the plague anybody know how many people dropped dead? Uh, uh, 23,000 people dropped dead when you kindle the Lord's wrath and He backs off with His protection, you may not have long to live on the earth. So guess what? what is the,
2: is the angel, is that Satan?
0: Sure. Satan and his, one of His hosts. He's just waiting to get us. He's just waiting for God to say, you can get Him. And when He does, man, He comes in and He got 23,000 of them, the Scripture says, before... Moses and Aaron could pray and stop the plague. Didn't you just waiting sure, for an opportunity? like a vulture. Sure. What he reminds me of living on the farm is you have a, a cow have a calf. The vultures come around waiting to see if that little calf's going to get up and go or he's not going to make it. If he ever gets down just a little bit, first thing they'll do is go out there and peck his eyes out and just eat him up. Vultures are demons. They're just like it. And they're just hovering around. In fact, I believe it's in Psalms 18. I believe it's in Psalms 18. Let me read that to make sure. This will give you a picture if I'm in the right place. This will give you a picture. No, that's not the psalm I'm thinking about. Anyway, the psalm I'm thinking about, I don't have time to find it right now. But the psalm says, My enemies are swarming around me like bees. It's in one of the psalms. Who is your enemy? The demons, yeah. They're swarming around you like bees. Those spirit beings waiting for you to sin. And when they do, they're going to fly right inside of you. They're going to torment your body. They're going to kill you. They're going to afflict you. They're going to cause all kinds of problems. And because we've not understand the spiritual realm. We don't understand they're there. And so when we sin, they come in and make us sick and afflict us. And they'll even come in and make you sick and afflict you sometimes because of a sin in the past. And you'll have to pray it through to break the power of the devil in your life. Well, you said that. You were the one who told me today. You had to pray through two or three times for something to get broken. Did you tell me that? You had something come upon you sick one time and you prayed it through and uh, you got healed and then uh, 30 days later this thing came back upon you again. That wasn't you? But somebody told me that today. I don't remember who it was. Somebody did. But that's the way the devil works. I, I, I've known many cases where he has done this. Now then, another case why we're sick today as Christians in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 29, he says, "For he that enter eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are sick, many are weak." And sickly among you, and many sleep or die. All of you have read that, right? Wonder what that really means. You really have any idea what that means? What does unworthy
2: mean?
0: What if you come to the table with the wrong attitude? You come unworthy. What if you come and you've got unforgiveness in your heart? What if you come you've been speaking evil about the preacher? Or you've been speaking evil about some other man of God out there that doing things that you don't understand. And you're saying, I believe that man's of the devil. That guy, Kenneth Copeland. That guy, Kenneth Hagin. I mean, you know, these guys of faith, they're of the devil. This is a false revival. You better be careful. You better be careful. That's exactly what he said, young lady. Many do not understand the body that bore our stripes. That, that, that healed us. How many people don't know in the church today that Jesus healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago? If you don't know that, if you wrongly interpret the body and what He done for you, the devil will come on to you and make you sick. And you won't have the faith to run Him off. If you don't know Jesus healed you on the cross, just like Ann. She's a lovely little lady here, went to church all her life. The devil beat upon her. She already had to have knee surgery and wanted to schedule for the other one. She didn't know... She didn't have to have surgery on either one of those. She had wrongly interpreted the body of her Savior. She didn't know He healed her on the cross. But she found out just in time, so she didn't have to have surgery on the second one. and made a difference, didn't it, Ann? So when you, well, if you don't know that, the devil's going to beat up on you, right? But knowledge is a wonderful thing. Don't leave home without it. You can't go beyond knowledge of any subject, Right? I don't even know what you do, Jeff. But whatever you do in life, you had to have some knowledge to do it, right? And it didn't just drop in you one day just by saying, I would like to do this either, did it? It takes years to learn. You have to study
1: books. You know, uh, you feel like you're dealing with
4: something, uh, just as last week, uh, this teaching came up about selfishness. And I just, before I went to bed, I prayed and I said, Oh God, I don't want selfishness. If there's anything in me show me in my dreams tonight and you know he did give me a dream and it was exactly a situation where i had given my husband permission one sunday beautiful sunday to go play golf and then i went out and did the yard work that we really I, i felt like we both should have been doing and it was nothing but selfishness now i never said anything to my husband and, you know, but that was a root of bitterness, and, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. was because of my selfishness. Sure. And so the next morning, I got on my knees, and I repented of that. And, you know, there there are little things.
1: that That's right.
4: What, the, the little foxes of the Bible? There
0: you go. That's and what he said. You
4: have to really be willing to search yourself out and see. And, I mean, you need to be ready to see something that's that really ugly, you know? In
0: other words, <laughs> what you did was a very dangerous thing. Anytime you go for the Lord and ask Him to reveal to you what your sin is, you may not like what He tells you.
1: I've learned how to be careful how to ask for (laughs) patience.
0: Yes, because tribulation brings forth patience. But the thing about it is when you ask God, it'll be well worth it if you'll do what He tells you. If you'll be an obedient daughter instead of a rebel, then when you ask forgiveness, then the joy returns. And it makes life better, doesn't it? Sure it does, of course. What? What? Yeah, yeah, that's 1 Corinthians 11 29. And then many fail to realize their position in the body of Christ because 1 Corinthians 6 says, Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? A lot of people don't know we're the members of the body of Christ. You are a cell, and you are a cell, and you are a cell, and I'm a cell. All of us are a cell in the body of Christ. And so, until you learn that, And then there's here's some of the things that causes sickness. I'm going to step on some toes here. Y'all are not going to like this. I know because I don't like this. Proper health care is a major problem with many. That's why many of us are sick and afflicted. Eating the wrong things. How many of us stop and eat at the junk food places? Too much. We're all guilty of that. I'm not as guilty as I used to. Eating too much of the wrong thing. Drinking the wrong things. How many of us drink two, three, four, five, six soft drinks a day? Not knowing that those take more water out of you than you put in, and each one of them's got six or eight spoons of sugar to Plus it. it
1: takes the bone, out, the out
3: of your out of your bones. bones.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow! Plus, did you know there's
4: about nine teaspoons of sugar in a drink in a, a, a soft drink mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that depresses your immune system mm-hmm. about one third? So if you have three drinks a day, mm-hmm. three cups a day, you basically have no immune system. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah, and what another th- another thing it'll do also that the uh, uh, well the CO2 that's in there will take out more water than you put in. Right. So it it literally that's why I asked a nurse a question one time. I said I can't believe every time somebody comes to a hospital, first thing y'all do is stick an IV in them. She said they're always dehydrated. Mm-hmm. I said why? She said, because nobody drinks enough water anymore. Your body's like, I think she said, 80% water, mm-hmm. and your brain is like 85% water. And she said, we drink everything but water. And I thought, boy, I better start drinking more water. So I do. And, and I virtually. Body, and your
3: body can tell a difference in tea or, oh, yeah. or something and pure, water. pure yeah. clear water. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Because if I heard a doctor on TBN talk about that one night, he said, when you drink tea, <laughs> Or when you drink Coke, or when you drink all these other things, it's kind of like running muddy water through a sieve. And so the muddy parts will stop in there and stop up those little pores in your skin. And so, in your body, you know, your cells. And so then they become damaged later and they die. I thought, wow. Smoking. So many people smoke tobaccos. And so many people, no exercise. Oh, Lord, I want, I want to go on a diet, but I want to get down just right, but I, I don't want to have to stop eating, and I sure don't want to have to run on that treadmill or get out there and walk down the block at a fast clip. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Don't want to do that. As long as it's, if anybody come up with a pill and you take it and you'd be an immediate perfect size, whatever, six or whatever the women want to be, or a perfect 180 pounds, you know, with big chest, one you could become a millionaire overnight, couldn't you? But it, that ain't the way it works. Yeah, you'd be the first one on the... <laughs> No rest. Working seven days a week. You know, it's a confirmed fact. Those people that give the Lord one day of rest, you know, live longer. And only as we believe and receive by faith the things of God do they begin to work in our lives. Now, that's the thing. That's an awesome statement if you grab that. Only as we believe and receive by faith the things of God do they begin to work in our lives. I come up with that statement because I received Jesus as my healer 15 years ago. I have never had a sick second since that day. But up until then, i would had lots of problems. Now, there's been a few times the devil tried to put something on me, but I wouldn't receive it. Just like this little lady here told us that when the headache or the scratchy throat, you finally say, I don't have to have this. Now, it's up to you. You either yield to it and receive it, or you cast it out in the name of Jesus and walk off healed only as we believe and receive by faith the things of God do they begin to work in our lives. If you don't know this book, you cannot receive by faith.